It's Monday night. It's just gone 7pm. And welcome to Searchlight, the entrepreneur's journey. My name is John Burkett. And welcome to my delightful co-host, Sharon Doolan. Hello, darling. We're in for a huge night tonight. We've got a lot on. And uh, this evening's topic. So, tonight we are asking a very important question. And the question is... To pitch... Or not to pitch. That is the question. Well, that is the question. the mind to suffer the slings? No, I won't do that. Okay. Right. We're just <laughs> going to fall into Shakespeare <laughs> we'll instead. Just Shakespeare instead. No, no, no. No, somewhat cheekily, we're asking the question. So, pitching. So, in the world of startups, um, yeah, we've all seen Shark Tank. We've all seen that sort of pitching stuff. There's a lot of stuff done about pitching. Speaking of, coming up soon. Coming up soon. I was getting there. Mm. Okay. Uh, and so... When you think about running, raising capital to get your startup or your business off the ground, the pitch is seen as being like the regular way of doing stuff. You know, it's like get your pitch ready, take your pitch out, do all that clever stuff, get your money and that sort of thing. Now, is, is that the only way to do it? Maybe there are other ways. There are alternatives. There so alternatives. we're going to explore that tonight. Exactly. We're going to sort of that out. And we have a great lineup of guests to, to explore that thing. In just a moment, we will be speaking to the shark himself, Steve Baxter. Uh, from Shark Tank uh, and, and our local local Redlander. He'll be coming on in just a minute or two. We'll also be talking to Pauline Fatoe, who's the CEO of River City Labs. She'll never think or two about this pitching stuff, I think. And we're also mm-hmm. talking to um, a couple of startups, uh, some local startups. We've got Karen Owen from Owen Custom Products, uh, who make really interesting products for the mining sector. They're a business who did stuff without getting any investment. So, and they were advised not to. So I'm yeah. really curious as to why. After, yeah, we're going to find out about that. And then we've got another one. We've got uh, Sandra Ebert, who runs Mizzy the Kangaroo, which is a children's toy product. Cool. Uh, now, I have to know they have got investment. So, and they're doing some interesting stuff with that. So we're going to find out, you know, we're going to compare and contrast different ways of getting funding, you know, different ways of going about this whole pitching thing and just ask that general question about, you know, to pitch or not to pitch. So that's the sort of stuff that, uh, that, we, that, we're, going, that we're going to be looking at. Um, yeah, that's the lineup of the evening. I so think. hang around. We're here till 10 o'clock. We've got four amazing guests coming up. And it's live local on your Bay FM. So coming up in just a moment, we're going to have a chat with our very own shark, Steve Baxter, at Bay FM 100.3. Ben Lee at Bay FM 100.3. Catch my disease. Now, we have our first guest for the evening. I'm delighted to welcome to the studio Steve Baxter. Uh, Steve will be well known to many as the tech investor from Channel 10's Shark Tank. A successful technology entrepreneur with two exits under his belt, he founded Brisbane's River City Labs in 2010 and has been a key figure in the Brisbane and Australian startup scene ever since. In 2017-18, Steve was also Queensland's chief entrepreneur. Steve, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good night. Thanks, Sean. Good night, Sharon. How are you going? Good. Thank you very much for joining. Yes. Great to have you here, Steve. Thanks for coming along. Um, so, uh, a lot of people know you from Shark Tank and all that kind of thing, but, I mean, chiefly, you're an entrepreneur. Oh, well, I was an entrepreneur, <laughs> so I, I separate my... I mean, there's probably two parts. There's probably three parts to my life. There's before I was an entrepreneur and I was, I was um, uh, having a job, I suppose, or a bit of a different job. I was a full-time soldier. Um, and then I, I ran, uh, started and ran two businesses, mm-hmm. uh, exited, as you, as, you, as you mentioned, and then I became an investor. And I'm an investor because I don't want to be an entrepreneur, to be quite honest. So um, now I, I do run a business. I have staff and I have KPIs, so that's a very serious thing. I understand that, but it's... 
It's a horrible business. I literally, like, we invest in companies, you know, that we expect fully not to see a return from in eight years. Mm. And so for eight years, basically you get treated like an ATM machine for walk up to take money out of you, walk up to take money out of you. And, you know, we have a, we've, had, we've had a few good exits along the way from the investment portfolio, so I can't, I'm, we're doing all right, but it just, I think I'm one of those sort of depressive states at the moment where I'm just, oh, look at this, you know, you, you, you can't see the exit for another two or three years and you're like, oh, well, you know, let's... Uh, Let's just pour some more, pour some more cash on the top of this funnel and see. Well, what hang on, you're a, you're also a dad. Okay, yeah. the kids are young at the moment. Just wait for it. When they get older, you will be an ATM machine. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I don't, I don't deny that at all. So, um, and so, but it, it's and I enjoy it. I get me wrong, and I've got a great team, and we've got a, an, an amazing portfolio. So, but it is. You know, it's not a business for the faint heart. And we're investing our own, for the most part, we're investing our own money. It's the last 10 months we've changed, 11, well, year or so we've changed that. And we, we now have a, uh, a group of uh, a syndicate of investors who, who make the choice to invest alongside of us. They, they, they are free to make the choice to invest alongside of us as well. So I'm still not risking their money as far as I'm concerned. Um, they're risking it along beside me. Just um, before we drill into the investment stuff, to, can we just dial back a bit to the entrepreneurial bit, the, the early stages, the two X's and that sort of thing? Just, hmm. to, just give us a flavour of what that journey was like for you yeah it was um i loved i loved um you know uh you remember the good bits you don't remember the bad bits and all the bad bits were never as bad later on as they were at the time i think is more importantly but i was pretty i was pretty lucky we had two businesses we started the first one in uh, 1994 it was a dial-up internet service provider it started from a, a rented army marry quarter of all things People often ask me, how did the army let me do that? And, well, I, I didn't tell them I was doing it. So, <laughs> That'll do it. And, and I'm often asked about, Better you know... Better to ask just the permission. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm often asked about, you know, people sort of say, you know, are entrepreneurs born or made? Which I think it's a stupid question and impossible to test. But um, I, I do think you can spot them and there are people who are biased towards action. Maybe have a healthy disrespect for authority <laughs> and, and a bias towards action. Mm. Um, as opposed to thinking about doing it, they're actually going to do it. So, um, so no, I got on and did that. That was a lot of fun. We moved out of the house eventually, got into the city. So you literally have banks and modems in the house. Oh, yeah. Back in the old room. Yeah, yeah. Blimey, yeah. Okay. You're hard to sleep beside that. You can oh, turn, the, say, you can yeah, turn the volumes down. <laughs> well, no, you, can, you can turn the volumes down and you turn the volumes off even. But um, um, the, uh, um, a lot of the times the, the modem settings would just reset themselves to the factory and you'd have one and you'd have to go hunt it down and sort of turn it off and otherwise you'd be awake all night with these modems going off. Do you remember that noise that you speak? Um, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. And this is what, it's interesting, now the work from home thing at the moment and people who do run a home business or work from home, I, I don't think it's long-term sustainable. It wasn't for me and I'm using my own example because mm. we just, we got out of the house and in the end, we, we disconnected the phone from the house. We literally, we just had to... We were still working six and a half days a week, so for that half a day we were home, and from, you know, 10 p.m. onwards, we just did not want to be disturbed. So I think ultimately that, um, that work from home it, it will only continue in, in extreme moderation, I think, personally, because... Yeah, because I've been working from home for 20 years. Mm. And, and, you, I, and you're your own boss too. I am. Yeah, so there's no pressure from the boss that you're at home, you should be working. Uh, I, I'm probably more yeah. pressure on me that right. from from myself than any, and any I'm, boss I'm, would and ever I said, be. I said with extreme moderation, I didn't say it's going to go away. Yeah. I said with extreme moderation because I... I'm also an old-fashioned boss. I, you know, I used to believe that work from home was the was a refuge of the lazy. Um, <laughs> seriously, um, uh, and I think we've done okay with our we've done we've done well with our with our crew. We've worked from home. We've put some tools in place to assist uh, understanding productivity. But back on the entrepreneur's journey. So mm. I was a dial-up internet service writer yep. at Adelaide. Um, I actually started that whilst I was still a soldier. Um, at about ten months, uh, I was had about ten months in common there, I suppose. Um, and um, then. 
uh, probably about a year and a half into that journey, bought in a business partner. We used to call them business partners back then. They're called co-founders yeah, now. Called it's all fancy. Yeah, we were managing right. directors, yeah. not CEOs, <laughs> right? That's you right. Know? Yeah, so um, I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur until halfway through my second journey, to be honest. I thought, what a weird word. Um, we did pretty good with that. We we sold that in, in two tranches over uh, in between 99 and 2000. Um, moved back to Brisbane. Uh, met up with an old schoolmate from Rocky. And we uh, started another business called Pipe Networks in 2001. And uh, grew that. So we ended up listing that. And so we started that with C Capital ourselves. We I think our, our peak borrowings to the company, or lendings to the company, got to about 120 grand mm. at peak. That averaged about 60,000, 70,000 bucks each. So we you know, mm. seeded it with somewhere between 120 and about 240,000 bucks, I suppose. Mm. We had I had some success, and Bevan had, had 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 a sort of similar level of success in a previous business. Um, so, and where we started Pipe Networks, we didn't take any external capital. Shouldn't say that we took lots of external capital. We took money from customers. Ah. The easiest, the <laughs> easiest capital you will find is from your customer, not from an investor. But we did a, uh, we're looking at IPO in May, two thousand and five, and we took a did a pre IPO round in, in in November two thousand and four. Mm. We took half a million bucks, and it was a five million dollar valuation and half a million dollars, um, which is you know nowadays would be. I was telling you before this had that valuation they got away from us in that business. It was just, which is like 15 times revenue or so or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No, it's probably about 35 times revenue. So, you know, valuations nowadays are a lot better. That's for sure. <laughs> um, so, we, we, uh, listed pipe networks, um, it went quite well over the journey of pipe networks. We raised, uh, in equity, we raised $90 million in debt. We raised $25 million. bucks. Uh, I left there as a full-time exec in, in mid-08 and went, went with Google in California for a year. There was only one job left for me in the company and, and you know, the, my business partner was a better CEO than I would have been, so that was, you know, it was time for me to go. Um, and then yeah, we got the offer, and I, I remained on the board of the, of, of the business mm. uh, as a non-exec director. We uh, got the offer to sell that business in... Um, uh, well, it settled in March 2010, but there was an extensive mm. process through the courts and schemes of arrangements and you know, pretty typical Australian corporate takeover mm. um, leading up to that. But in between then, you know, we listed at 40 cents and then, you know, I think three weeks later we had a $1 party at the Big & Whistle because that's where you always have parties in Brisbane. <laughs> and then um, I mean, we, were like at, we were like at 480 probably, you know, in probably late, uh, mid-07. Mid, mid is before the whole subprime crisis, you know, it was, it was initially called the subprime crisis, right yeah, before the yeah, GFC, before right? The GFC, yeah. And then um, that started going down. And we we went from you know, so forty cents to a buck to four eighty to a buck eighty. Now that wouldn't may not be so bad unless you've committed to spend one hundred and fifty million US dollars to build a submarine car from hmm. Sydney to Guam, which we did. Hmm. So we had a small problem. Hmm. Ouch. Um, yeah. So, um, but. You know, through through some really fortuitous events um, and through communicating with our stakeholders, and and, and uh, you know, and, and probably a couple of um, near um, you know, I think in, inspirational moments from Bevan, we we got through that to be honest. So, um, and in the end, uh, so you built the pipeline. Oh yeah, the cable's finished. Yeah, and we end up having our supplier vendor finance. And the, the end of that story was you know, during the GFC. Literally, we we almost had a banking syndicate stitched together. It was all going quite nicely. And then the, the, the Lehman Brothers thing happened and the world mm. stopped. Like, mm. it, it wasn't the fact they weren't returning our calls. They fired the three floors of people in that building and there was just, no one was picking up the phone, mm. if you know what I mean. So it, it was really grim. Um, but, yeah, like I said, we communicated and that's a big lesson in business is communicate. Um, we ended up finding one of our stakeholders, our, our, our manufacturer, um, they um, vendor financed it for us basically to get back at one of our common customers they hated. Um, and if I tell that Revenge story... Is if I tell that story, I'll get sued. Yeah, no, no, maybe we'll gloss over. And then, um, 
Yeah, and then uh, you know the, the company was repairing, and we were getting back to you know we started a process to sell. We'd engage investment bankers to look at our corporate options and in inverted yeah. commas if yeah. those on the radio. Um, and you know I think we turned in our first offer at about two dollars forty five. You know, we were at two seventy, and they came in the low borders at two forty. And we got another three offers where they're constantly going fifteen as, as as you're growing. They're constantly going fifteen percent under, which is silly. Like you've got to do. No public market's going to accept a discount in a, in a rising share price, right? So, um, and in the end, I think we raised, went to raise cash at five dollars ninety, and then David Tio from TPG came along and said, "Don't, don't, don't raise cash." And we said, well, "No, we don't. We've got to raise cash, and everyone's happy to take it." I guess fine, I'll take the lot. Mm. <laughs> so I don't, I think, I don't think he did. I think, but he took a big chunk of that round from memory. I'm really this is did eleven years ago, and then he launched a then he launched a takeover bid essentially. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. at six dollars six dollars thirty. So, so that that was that was that was exit number two for you. Yeah, exit number yeah. two. Yeah, and and then you went on and set up River City Labs and yeah. Look, um, so I, I was uh, when I was all happening i was in brisbane in fact i think i signed the documentation we were in we we're in key in um florida keys and there was a hurricane offshore and literally <laughs> that the that fax machine the hotel didn't work i had to go to another hotel. fax machines obviously <laughs> Ten, 11 years ago there were fax <laughs> machines everywhere um but i had to go i think it was the third it was like a share we were staying in a hilton or something I don't know, and you know i had to find the share and there was like three sheritons apparently so i always went to the wrong one and and like the cab drivers didn't want to go out because literally there was a hurricane <laughs> i was getting and i'm getting these phone calls from australia saying you gotta sign this i'm like oh, i'm stuck in a hurricane um and uh so yeah came back uh, came back to australia the settlement happened march 2010 uh i didn't want to do much for for a while it was an amazing windfall to be honest so um, honored, and I've been a long time in business and I was very keen not to get back in business again and I got a lot of full admiration for anyone who's in business but I was just over it to be quite blunt mm. um, and that you know I, I started re because I've been away for about probably 14, 15 months I think and I just started reconnecting with my networks and found some people that you know started mentoring not, you know, I don't like the term mentoring because a lot of people think that's a programmatic thing it's not you catch up with some people who become your friends or at least strong acquaintances and you help them out and that's that to me is mentoring um and and then you know i did a little bit of investing here and there um and that you know sort of slowly rolled into the, the and i was went to sydney on a few trips and saw the uh fish burners facility in harris street ultimo I thought well wow, this is great it's a dumpy old building basically full of desks and it was just a really cool atmosphere so i went back to brisbane to try and find the dumpy old building full of desks with a cool atmosphere and there was this thing hanging out at the university i lab was just horrible the time and it was just so corporate and very large enterprise which describes brisbane right you know we have a mining company headquarters and the bits and pieces and we're quite stayed in that respect so i thought well how hard can this be um let's do river city labs and i'm thinking that and i, I thought it would cost me about a quarter of what it actually cost me in the end um i think my wife's listening i don't know if i told you that number honey um <laughs> so um but it was it was good you know it was and i, I made the, the purposeful uh step to make it a not-for-profit because I, I consider mm. that deeply well because I'm, I'm a huge fan of business is business and, and, and charity is charity mm. um so i looked at this as philanthropy and giving back I, I wanted members not customers and that was a very very clear thing for me uh, I, and that's where i think i really got it wrong i really should have gone for cut i really should have actually taken a more uh aggressively commercial approach to it to be honest but it, it ultimately i think it built a bit of capacity brisbane didn't have um i sold that two years ago um to australian computer society I think you got Pauline on later on. Pauline's mm-hmm. coming yeah, on yeah, later yeah. on as Adams, who's um, the current, current uh, CEO there. Yeah. yeah, general manager. Sorry, there. Yeah. So yeah, and so you know, it's continuing in the, in the state government precinct there. Um, it's one of it's the a few. fabulous facility. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the few yeah. good things I think that that state government's done, which is you know, which is nice. So um, and then. Uh, 
Um, yeah, it's built. It's built that, that capacity. It did, it did yeah, change yeah. the scene in Brisbane. I think that's absolutely. I mean, I've, I've been involved in sort of early stage and startup stuff since. Well, I think I met you probably I, after about six months after I started. Yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. one of one of your earlier mentors. I think yeah. you know. And uh, but I, I remember we could we could have got the whole Brisbane startup community literally into one small office. You know, in back in about sort of two thousand and four, two thousand and five, uh, and then later, you know, you you put River City Labs on the scene and it did change it. It changed it massively. Yeah, I learned a lot from that. You know, I learned that Brisbane's a different. City to Sydney um, in, 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 in its in its urban makeup, to be quite honest, and you know that most people in Brisbane live in a house with a third and fourth bedroom, and that's your mm. office. You don't need that space; it's just not required. And so, the, the, the underpinning of the financial model was just diabolical, to be honest. And, and you know, no one wanted to pay for a desk. <laughs> Bugger. Um, and what we learned very quickly, which I always knew, but I, we, we learned we had to pivot there in order to get traction, was. Uh, to be focused on events mm. and so we did um i know peter ellis the former gm um river city labs she did up a uh, a note for me one time we had sixteen thousand guests through at about 500 events it, it was just that the statistics were mind-blowing what we actually did there to be honest so um yeah, that felt really good to be truthful so and, yeah. and some of those events were pitch events oh yeah lots of pitch yeah. events and one of the first so the first company who signed i'm not, I'm not so the first company who signed uh, uh, to, to become a, a, a desk member there, um, they they couldn't actually move in for about eight weeks because they had to leave their jobs. So oh great, this is all. They literally let's go do this and leave our jobs. They are not. I can't tell you who it is at the moment. But they are knocking absolutely knocking it out of the park, and you know they've, they've got a great year ahead of them. So fantastic. Can we find out more about that in just mm. a moment? We'll be back. Have a, a little musical interlude. Take a musical interlude. We've had about Steve's entrepreneurial journey. I wanted exactly. to just drill into this whole pitching question, though. So we'll come back to that in a couple of minutes. And the events. And the events. We'll and take- the business you're talking about. There's so much to talk about here on Searchlight, the entrepreneur's journey. We'll be back after this. Eagles, life in the fast lane, which, which you would think Steve's been living in by the sound of it. So it sounds, it sounds, it sounds very good. <laughs> if you've just joined us, welcome to it. It's Bay FM 100.3, Searchlight and the Entrepreneur's Journey. And we have special guest in this evening, the shark himself, Steve Baxter. Welcome to our program and our conversation is continuing. It's to pitch or not to pitch. Now, just before we uh, dived into the Eagles, we were having a very interesting conversation um, about businesses that are doing incredibly well at the moment because of what's been happening with, with COVID. So I'd like to hear more about that. Oh, look, it's, it's exceptionally varied. And, and where you find the success out there in, in, because of COVID is sometimes shocking. Um, I, 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 I can't use the name of that business before. I'd love to. I think you know, hopefully in the next period of time they'll, they'll become a household name of, of, of sorts, to be honest, which would be great. Um, but, uh, you know, generally because of the move online, work from home, etc., and I, I think that COVID's accelerated a lot of the, the you know, previous misconceptions I said before, how I, um, I was a bit of a stodgy old boss and thought that work from home was a refuge for the lazy, then obviously I've changed my mind there, if you know what I mean. So that's, lots of things have been brought forward. So uh, generally we are finding um, that businesses that can cater into that space are, are doing just, you know, some are doing eye-bleedingly well. It's just... It's shocking. Great phrase. <laughs> but t- turning to this this question about what is the best way of getting funding, um, and we, were, we were just talking earlier about you know the, after you got River City Labs up and running, there were the ri- River Pitch events that you put together and got, and got going with, and indeed I sort of did one of those um, and was not successful. Thank goodness. I'm so quite glad about that. That's another story. Uh, but 
within that, I mean, clearly that you know, doing the pitch, getting your pitch ready, has become a big focus of a lot of the uh, of the incubators and a lot of the programs that are put around for startups. And it's it's become, I think, sort of regarded as like the one true way of getting your your startup funded. Uh, but you mentioned earlier, you know, about how great it is to get money from customers. I mean. You know, what's your view on what is the optimal way of doing this stuff? Um, yeah, I think every investor is different. Every sector is different. I invest in, in tech startup businesses. Businesses, I don't, agree. I don't invest in tech startups. I invest in high-growth global potential businesses. The only way you grow fast around the world is with tech. So yeah. if you can find another way, I'll back it as well. Um, that hasn't happened yet. So, um, uh, so generally the, the one thing that i i think since about 2008 7 8 9 has changed has been the commoditization of a whole bunch of data center based technologies cloud and a few other things yeah. back to start a business in sort of pre 2005 you needed half a million bucks worth of it stuff that's the <laughs> polite term right you needed licenses and servers and fiber and uh, racks and this and that all the, and so you know and, and that was good for australia right because we could find we could fund businesses that needed half a million bucks worth of stuff bad for the guy in the favela in brazil or in, in you know in, in in ukraine or something when they they couldn't get access to those levels of capital come to the the teens the 2010s plus and to start a business now is 10 20 000 bucks if you know what I mean. And you have a few good mates with a laptop and a working mobile, you know, working telecom service, which we bug it up in Australia because of MBN. Don't start me there. Um, you can do that. So all of a sudden, the, the, the kids in the favela in Brazil have got a half good idea, a couple of Chromebooks and some mobile phones are competing with how, how high level of university so, education so the, the here. Tech so is, the tech has democratised things. Absolutely yeah. democratised things. Yeah. So yeah. you can... So, well, the reason I'm getting to this, and it's a long way around, I appreciate that, is it's very easy to build a product. If you can't... And so I'm a huge fan of getting money from customers, mm. right? Fund it somehow. You've got to fund that initial bit somehow, but your credit card in. American Express will give you 25 a K with 30 days free, for God's sakes. Just go to them. The, the interest rate's a bit interesting if you don't pay it back. <laughs> um, but there's ways to get that cash. So, um, you know, create your first product. Get people using it. Because the first thing a prospective investor is going to ask you is, great, have you built it? What's it going to cost? And are people using it? You say no, then you've got a whole bunch of no's. To, investors' job is to say no, is to pull your business and your pitch apart until they find the one thing to say no, and they go, great, I can now go away. Because we see that much, we see that much, That's and we're, we're out for the perfect. You know, if you if you if you, if you know the things that, are, that 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 are bad, if you find one of those things, you can find things that have no bads. Mm. And of course, you're going to ignore that, or you know, you understand the cost to work that if you do invest in it. So, um, you know, the the investors are primed, ready, keen to say no. To be quite honest, so. Um, so does, does yeah, that knowing mean, that mindset is very important. Does that mean, in your view, then the investors should the investor be the last port of call? Well, well, I'll give you this pitch. Like, I, I, can you invest fifty thousand dollars? I mean, I'm going to go build this app to service this market over here. Uh, you can think on that, or I can say, "Hey, I need a hundred thousand bucks to spend in this market because I built this app. I've now got six thousand paying customers, and I'm growing at this." Yeah, but that's a different. That's a different pitch, yeah. right? Yeah. So, um, and ninety percent of the questions that. that investors are going to ask regarding your ability to deliver have gone away then it's questions about total size of the market and other bits and pieces obviously and you know the trustworthiness of team and, and other bits and, but you know you, that, that you've gotten through that that first gate mm. um and you know it, it's if, if you find it hard to sell you probably got the wrong product or you're bad at selling you need to f if that's the case if it's one or either of those you, or one or both of those you need to fix it fast 
Uh, if you can't sell, get out of business. Go back to the public service. Well, it's, it's, it's funny, you should, funny you should say that because I often I've done a bit of coaching people for pitches and that sort of thing. And and some one thing I'll often say to them is, "Would well, you know one of the real reasons we get you to pitch?" Is because we want to see if you can sell. Sell to a customer. Because yeah. if you can't sell the concept to us, you probably can't sell the product to your customers. And, and, and if you are running a business and you're out there looking for investors, so that, that investors don't give you money. That term drives me batty insane. Investors take their capital and purchase your equity and have a stake in your business. Now, the job of your business is to sell things or services or something else to mm. someone else. They're selling a widget to a customer. right? And, and every second you take selling equity... To an investor, is one moment you've got your eye off your business. And the longer you do that, the worse your business will look. Mm. Because you'll take your eye off the customers, uh, which will decrease your sales. Everyone's going to wonder why it takes you so long to actually raise money and why your sales going down at the same time. So the, the equation doesn't get better. So, uh, yes, you should raise, uh, uh, yes, you can raise capital, and there's all sorts of different ways, angels and family and friends and whatnot. Um, but, you know, once you've actually built a business and you've got traction and you've proved a market, and then you've like, right, how do we pour kerosene on this fire? And that's mm-hmm. where the investor capital comes in. And, and so what you're really saying is the, inv- the role of the investor, you know, be it an angel investor or whatever, external money, serious, you know, for sensible money, is really coming in at the point where you need to do it. It's the growth phase. It's yep. the scale-up thing. Yep. It's like, so, so the investment at the stage where you're just starting... Certainly, I know there was a long phase when there was a daisy chain of people who come along and say, as you were saying, you know, give me this. I've got this idea for an app. Give me the money, and I'll go away and develop it. And we would very nicely say, sorry, go away. Um, so, really, the investment thing is more about we've we've proven the model, we've written the app, we've proven that we can get money for it in this market, and we now want to scale this thing up. Mm. That's the point to ask to come to you know somebody like we want to take this to the US or UK. Yeah, yeah we're yeah. going to. Beachhead new markets, whatever mm. it might be, you know, mm. it, it's very variable. And I, it's often I get asked at the most, you know, should we successful businesses in Australia have approved something? Should we go overseas? Said, yeah, yes, you should. And I, the, the biggest fault I see there is people take too long planning it. Mm-hmm. Everyone gets it wrong twice. Everyone gets it wrong twice. And the longer you wait, the longer you wait to get it wrong twice. Okay, they get it wrong twice. Mm. So what's the first one they get wrong? That was let's say they market typically to market entry to the US. Sometimes Europe, typically the US. Yeah, the US or UK, to be honest. So too long to to enter into yeah, the US. They, they overplan it. They, they 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 do lots of market research. They hyper research it. Hyper. And I say you shouldn't plan it, but you just shouldn't spend long doing it. I heard a great term actually recently, which was you should write your plans in pencil, so they're easy to rub out. <laughs> but um, but then literally they, and I said just go and do it. So we, we think we're going to do it. Yeah, go 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 hire a person and go and do it. I mean, they're not going to be the right person. Get over it. Just go and do it. You know. And they're like, what do you mean? Because you're going to stuff up the first time. Occasionally, we see you get it partially right the second time, but usually they've fired both lots of the, which in the US is easy to fire people. <laughs> um, wouldn't that be nice in Australia? Um, <laughs> and so it's, it's typically then it's your, your, your third round of, of hires. You understand the market. It's spoken to. Not that you've deliberately gone out and got the wrong person, but your preconceptions of what you were doing, what your product was worth, what the value was, because every market's got a different strata. You know, who the resupply, the resupplies, the resellers are and whatnot, so where the stratification is. It, you can't read a book. You can't even get market research to understand that. You've mm. just got to get, you've you got to get waist got to deep. In, you've got to get waist deep in that market and, and, and understand that you're going to explore that with capital, be it working capital or investors' capital. Mm. So... Yeah, you've you've probably seen more pictures than I've ever had hot dinners, you know, and and obviously you know all the stuff that happens on Shark Tank uh, or happened on Shark Tank when it was when it was on. Just just very briefly, what for you makes a great pitch? Confidence, mm-hmm. confidence. I tell my daughters all the time, you know, you, you don't know anything. If you just speak with confidence, they're going to believe you anyway. 
<laughs> in all seriousness, you'd, if you're not confident, and then it's like, what are they hiding? What's going on? You know, the, the, the questions start. So, and I never recommend anyone lie. Don't get me wrong. Um, but if you don't have, if you can't pitch with confidence, then you're, you're in a lot of trouble. So, if, if they can engage, then then it comes down to the team, and it comes down to, you know, we, we are now post traction investors. We just say, right, okay, so we're all, I'm turning 50 next year, my team probably averages 30, low 30s. So they're all older than 21. So honestly, they cannot make assumptions for what the community currently wants, as far as I'm concerned. But what, we'll, what we do know is we, they can demonstrate, okay, we've got one business, a great business called ClipChamp, 7 million users. The revenue hasn't caught up to that, unfortunately. They've got 7 million people using their video editing um, product. Um, and, and now we're trying to monetize that. So, you know, traction. Traction doesn't have to be... The best traction is profit. If you've got profit, you don't need me. Mm-hmm. Um, second best traction is revenue. Third best traction is usage. Mm. They're all really, really cool. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's about... And it's back to that point about you've got to have kind of proven the business model yeah. to, to be able, to, be able to, move, to move that whole thing forward. Yeah. And some businesses can't. If you're building rockets and all the rest of it, you know, and you, know, you have to build a $10 million factory for X, Y, and Z, then... Mm. I don't play in that space. I'm not talking in that space. I'm talking to that fast start, moving, high growth, global potential tech startup. That's mm-hmm. fun. Which is where ninety percent of the current enterprise value is being added in the world. But that was, you kind of when you just Shark Tank, you kind of weren't doing. No, no, I didn't know. We, we had lots of hula hoops and yo-yos. Yeah. To be honest, yeah, um, and, and we got some great businesses close, out of that. Close pegs, I seem to remember. I never that? did the close pegs. Oh, didn't you do um, close no, I didn't. No, um, look. Uh, <laughs> I, I know, I, I now know, I, I, and I'm better at investing in um, tech startups post-traction because of all the investments I made on Shark Tank. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got, we got, we got that portfolio itself. We've got one business there that, that, that it'll, should exit and probably return three times the value of the portfolio. So, yeah, it's, it's a good portfolio. We have a portfolio approach. Not everything works. Uh, yeah. we, we should always, you know, when I say no, I'm always hope I'm wrong. And I really I've, I've got to ask you this question. How many of the ones that get the Guernsey on the show actually go through and... About 30%. Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, some just don't want it. To be oh. honest, they just don't won't take the investment. Um, they're, they're after the TV ad, nothing else. Yeah. It's, and that's fine. Channel Ten's using them. They, they use Channel Ten back. I've got that's just an equation in life, right? Yeah, I saw some so, blog by somebody the other day writing this thing saying best thing we ever did was not take the Shark Tank investment. Yeah, you know? but that's good. that's them getting more pressure again too, yeah. right? Yeah. So we had one that just came out, uh, which was uh, the, the the Sleeping Duck mattress guys. Mm. They came looking for five million bucks for five on grand. Shark Tank. Yeah, uh, five hundred thousand dollars. Sorry for oh. for, for um five percent. Mm. And it was a ten million vowel, and you know everyone was counter offering at fifteen. I said, oh, "I like this. I'll go. I'll go have a crack at 10. And they came back, and uh, anyway, I, they got away. But they've just been—they're just doing it around now. And if I'd made that investment, I would have done a hundred times my cash. Mm. <laughs> Mattresses, mind you. So there you go. Um, Hmm. But a product that's in demand and that people need, so and an easy yeah. product to buy. You know, but yeah. buying a mattress is an interesting thing. You know, it, there's there's lots of really uh, uh, um, you know, retail experiences that I think the internet. Uh, it's, it's, it's surprising the internet's got into. I never thought that shoes would be sold on the internet. I never thought that the clothes in general, because it, the, the the need to fit and, and, and feel, I suppose. But you know, it's really. I buy a lot of stuff on the internet primarily because I am working from home. Mm. Occasionally, I'll make mistakes and I'll end up with something that might be about this big. It's like well, okay. We sat in the US about three years ago for about five weeks, and we had Amazon Prime delivery service. We had a lot of things turning up, mm. um, and we had young, we had very young children at times. So had to buy a lot of stuff for them, and people sort of say, "Oh, I'm going to miss the experience of going to the shopping centre." 
Uh uh-uh. uh. That experience of watching an Amazon man turn up twice a day to your house, that's actually pretty cool. <laughs> and so, and unfortunately, I think through COVID, we're, we're dispensed with a lot of our traditional Australian based industries and, and the, the Amazons, the likes of Amazons are getting. I mean, this is what we need to open up and get over ourselves on this COVID. Honestly, it's not a pandemic, it's belly health crisis. Because in a commercial sense, we are surrendering. We're surrendering such a march that we can't surrender. So there's, there's a lot of issues there. Mm, maybe a, maybe a different topic for a different day, but mm. yeah, no, I think there's a there's a lot of stuff there. We'll Could certainly jump you yeah. into searchlight conversations <laughs> mm. for that one, definitely with uh, with Ken, whom you met earlier. I've, I've got some pretty degrees, of ninety degrees to most people on the topic, so be careful what you <laughs> ask for there. So <laughs> careful what you ask for. Yeah, uh, no, no. Um, as as you said earlier, having a, a different opinion ain't no law against that. No. Well, there isn't some... It depends on what your opinion is, I suppose. But, um, uh, yeah, um, so we should talk about entrepreneurship. Sorry, we're getting, <laughs> getting carried away. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, no, I mean, so it's, it's, you know, I'm just trying to un- uncover this whole issue of this, you know, because it seems to me that a lot of people who go on these, um, you know, the accelerator programs and, the, and all these other programs, you know, the, the pitch is held to be the, the, the shining star of the, the thing that you've got to really get right. It's the graduation right ceremony. It's performance. Yeah, it's it really is performance, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and, but the one thing you need to do in business is sell. And, and so... And, the worst case, 40% of every pitch is common and the best case, and probably should be 60, 70% of every pitch is common because this is not my business. This is what my mm. business does. This is how I sell. This is how I make money. This is how you should buy it if you're pitching to a customer. Mm. So are you pitching to an investor? Are you pitching to a customer? Are you pitching to a banker? Different pitches, sure. So they're, they're, they're different pitches. So once again, that, that confidence has got to come through. You have to, you know, you, we have to need to know that you know your product, that you're proud of your product, you're proud of what you're doing, that you, you understand fundamentally the market you're in and, and the economics behind what you're doing. And if you stumble and do ums and ahs, then <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you've got to be fairly polished at it for sure. But I think the, um, I think one of the things that's worried me about that a little bit is, is we, we, I do sometimes worry that we've reached the point where the pitch is prized above having a really good, solid, robust business model. And, yeah, yeah, I, look, and, and I look at it as. Um, I think it's also good because it actually there's a fair bit of uh, community enablement through the pitch. People say the pitch is a sexy thing True. to do and raising money is a sexy thing to do. I just want people to start businesses, mm. to be honest. I feel at times, especially when I was, thank you, especially when I was um, chief entrepreneur, I felt a bit like some some horrible, decrepit World War I general pushing, pushing soldiers into gunfire. Really? Most, most of these businesses don't work, to be quite honest. So I'm pushing people towards bankruptcy. To be quite blunt, no, it was an analogy, right? It wasn't mm. a great analogy. So I'm pushing these people towards bankruptcy because I just want them to try. Now, no one in their right mind can actually pick out of if, if out of ten businesses, if if eight are going to fall over, no one knows which eight they are. Mm. So um, you've just got to get people to try. So I sort of say that you know, when everyone, when someone comes to pitch me an idea, if I say I've got an idea to pitch you, I say you should do it. And they're like. But I haven't told you what it is yet. Yeah, because I'm not your customer. Just do it. I'm not your customer, right? And so, um, so get the appropriate skills that you need to pull it off and build the appropriate network and go for it. Okay, so on that, what are... The appropriate skills, just a, a couple... Of what, whatever they are. What, whatever your business is, I can't dictate that, to be honest. You know, if there's, if there's tech at the core, you need tech in your business. Mm. Um, you know, if you're a helicopter... If you want to rent out helicopters, you probably should be a helicopter pilot. You know what I mean? So uh, whatever the appropriate skill is. But the, the, the very important thing there is... And go and, go and work for someone doing that and find out how to do that and understand why they're doing it wrong. And they're probably not. People in a successful business really aren't that wrong. They're actually... They've taken the hard yards and they're, and they're doing it. Um, 
that there's reasons they're doing that why they're doing it um and then but the network's very important i mean you can get a network by going to university and an edu- you know and build the appropriate skills at the same time that i think it's a great way i think actually it's a very poor value way to get skills but it's one way to do it um uh, or you can uh, go and do traditional networking events and other bits and pieces but you know, I've, I've got a rule in business i call it the rule of 100 bucks uh, if you want to you want a ten thousand dollar outcome you want to go and talk to a hundred people. It's a hundred times a hundred is ten thousand. All right. If you this is this is this is how much you have to do networking, and this is how bad of a return it is. If you want a hundred thousand dollar outcome, you've got to talk to a thousand people. If you want a million dollar outcome, you've got to talk to ten thousand people. But what's that? How can you talk to ten thousand people? That's one trade show. You get a million bucks. If you, can, you know, depending on your business, mm. you know, you probably write a million bucks worth of business in a five day trade show. You know what I mean? So. Um, it doesn't scale, but it's the only way you can do it. Um, so you've just got to knuckle in and so get into no it. So there's no options for, for want of a better term, and to use my old-fashioned terminology, you've got to burn that boot leather initially. You do, and it's yeah. the same with investment. I mean, you have to identify the investors who may invest. There's no point going to talk to me if you've got a shoe leather factory. I'm not going to invest in it, right? That's just a wasted conversation. Well, you could test the pitch on me, but, you know, that's what all I do. You're not going to burn a bridge that way. Um, but you need to identify those investors who invest in your type of business at your stage, in your geography, then have a look at what return they've got understand who they've invested in and go and talk to them because there are some asshole investors out there. You really want to... There are some people out there who aggressively manage the terms of their investment to get the best outcome for them, which I think is nothing illegal about it. It's mm. not the way I'd like to conduct myself. So um, understand that totally. There's some people out there who really misuse your confidential information, which is shocking, right? That the confidential information to us is, is it's our currency. We can't misuse that ever. Um so you know research they're going to research you you need to research them that's that's hyper important um to understand and then how to sell to them what their hot buttons are the whole thing but you have to i i, I often say you've got to manage that process in exactly the same way you would manage your sales pipeline. Sales process you, I, I, you, and i recommend using a crm to yeah you, 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 use tools. you manage it if yep. you have an investor pipeline yep in exactly the same way as you might have a sales pipeline. You've yep. got to have enough coming in because you've got to process them through. They're certainly you've got, to, you've got to get them through each key point in that pipeline to, to get to the goal. And here's the hard part when you talk to people. You know, people sort of say, oh, all the investors in Brisbane, they're no good. They want to invest in my product. Mm. And I'm like, right, so none of the, if none of the customers in Brisbane wanted to buy your product, would you say the customers were no good? If you fundamentally misunderstood what the investment process is, you are selling equity to someone who was the buyer. If they don't buy it, they're not wrong. Um, they that you have a product that's that, 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 that that's not of interest to them or is faulty, to be quite honest. So um, you need to take that attitude to it. You know, investors aren't wrong; they're, they're customers. And as much as you know, I've had God, I had thirty six thousand customers at one point in time. I had lots of them I didn't like, but they were always right. Unfortunately, much <laughs> as they grind my teeth while I say that. So, um, so you've just got to listen to them, um, and they dictate your actions. What's my old saying is, is it's not necessarily the case that the customer is always right, but the customer just has the right to be wrong. Yeah, <laughs> the customer has the wallet. <laughs> the customer has the wallet, and the investors have the wallet. So that's that's a that's a he, he has the goal to set the rules. The other thing, if you are looking for investors, don't go looking for one. You want to get four, three or four. It's it's a market, right? If, if you have lots of people who are vying for your investment, you'll get a better price. If you have one person out there and you're desperate and you need the cash, you, you, you're going to get a set of terms that you probably won't mm. as liked as much as if you have more than one person. You might get a really horrible set of terms. Which is why you should be managing it as a pipeline and have multiple mm-hmm. ones coming down that pipeline and doing that sort of thing. So, yeah. Steve, that's been really, really interesting. Thank you very much indeed. No,
Cheers, um, one, cheers, one little yeah. one little question at the end though that we do like to we sort of ask everybody uh, we've probably covered it a bit in some of the stuff you've been talking about but it's that thing of if you had one key thing you wanted to put across to somebody thinking of starting out in this space thinking of doing this going down this route what would it be what would your key bit of advice be well so far as Italian business as always is I, I think do it before thinking <laughs> in some respects um so so I'm, I'm always biased towards action i think that if, if you think you can do that then so get the appropriate skills get the appropriate network get into it um you don't want to be sitting in, the, in your rocking chair at 65 years old saying oh, i could have done that one day yeah whatever <laughs> that, that opinion means nothing get in there i much prefer to say i gave it a crack it didn't work and mm. you know i got beaten out by better comp whatever it might be if in doubt so, makes the entrepreneurial leap yeah exactly yeah. if you're not willing yeah. to do that then yeah there's probably safer jobs yeah which is which? Uh, which is fine. I mean, no yeah, yeah, that's, that's okay. That's but I'm an aggressive yeah. promoter of entrepreneurship, right? So I've got to have mm. come, you know, I've, mm. got, I've got to come away with a bit of a, mm. a bit of an arrogance towards entrepreneurs, right? So <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with you, darling. I'm absolutely with you. That's been great. On Steve, that one. thank you very much indeed. That's been re- that's that's been really interesting. I think we've uncovered we've uncovered some interesting. I was expecting us to be slightly sort of philosophically a little different on this, but it turns out we're on exactly the same page, which is which is a tad disappointing because I was hoping for a more, more robust debate, but never mind. Should add scotch here, well, you can we should add some scotch here. It would have been different. No? <laughs> ah, oh, well, we're going to talk about that when, when we close the mic in a minute or two. So uh, you're listening to Bay of Heaven, 100.3, the heart and the soul of the Bay. This is Searchlight, the entrepreneur's journey, and we've been talking to Steve Baxter. Uh, the well-known shark and proud, proud Queenslander and Redlander. We're, de- we're delighted to say as well. So that's been really interesting. I think we'll take a break for a little while, shall we? We shall. We shall. We'll be back after this. <laughs> Shepherd Geronimo. You're listening to Bay FM 100.3, the heart and the soul of the Bay. This is Searchlight, the entrepreneur's journey with John Burkett and Sharon Doolan. So we've just been talking to Steve Baxter and finding out about some, some of Steve's entrepreneurial journey, which, uh, which I knew a little bit about, but, uh, but actually uncovered a few things there that I didn't know about, which is, uh, which is really quite interesting. So we've got some more guests coming up very shortly. Uh, we'll take another little break for a couple of minutes, and uh, then we'll be back with some more. Our Redlands Coast economy recognises... KenzieACG.com. Sponsor. And we're back. This is Searchlight, the entrepreneur's journey. And uh, you're listening to Bay FM 100.3. Great chat with Steve earlier. We now have our next guest. We've got uh, Pauline Fatigue. Pauline is the general manager of Brisbane's tech startup incubator, River City Labs. But she's also a startup founder in her own right. Pauline startup Chihu. Did I say that right? Chihu. Chihu. There you go. It's a, it's a personal <laughs> assistant app that helps you helps you hustle and work smarter. So, Pauline, good evening. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Quite yeah. delighted, and it was great to hear Steve. Yes, of course. So, so you now run River City Labs that Steve started off. Yeah, God. I've actually just passed my one year anniversary. Um, so lucky me, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Learned lots. <laughs> Okay, so uh, so our topic for this evening is we're looking at this 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 issue of you know to pitch or not to pitch, and and I'm guessing doing what you've done with River City Labs, you've you've probably sat through a, f- a few pitches now. Would that be yeah, right? Yeah, quite a few pitches. I was lucky enough to get the last River pitch from 2019, mm-hmm. and um, over the course of the last year, obviously, it's been quite a different one. Yeah. Um, but we've still managed to run programs uh, for early stage startups and have a few demo uh, and pitch events. Uh, one of the good things is, though, being a part of River City Labs, I get to participate in other people's pitches. Um, lucky me, not that I'm warranted or have any grounds to judge. Um, but I do smell an 
and see a good business model when I see it. <laughs> okay, well, that's one of my hot things is about getting get, getting the business model out there and all that sort of Me thing. too. So we'll talk about that in a minute or two, but but also with with Chihu. I mean, you're a, you're a startup founder in your own right. Yes. So just tell us a little bit about your entrepreneur's journey story with that and how kind of how you've got to where, where you're at with that. Look, I'm going to be completely honest with you. So my ulterior motive and my whole goal is Chihu. So Chihu was born um, the idea a couple of years ago. I basically was sick of my management consulting life in corporate in regards to being busy and letting everyone down. And I was hustled off my feet and I could not hold all the balls in the air. And I was tired of saying sorry and I felt guilty constantly. Um, I tried to look for things online that would actually help me to manage my tools because I am a techo. Um, my background's in tech, uh, enterprise systems. And I tried my best to find something that would help manage my juggle between being a consultant, having a busy um, couple of side hustles, as well as my family and life and events and social. Uh, and I just it just wasn't cutting it. So there was Born Chihu, uh, an integrated app that manages my calendar, my events, my mailboxes, my to-do list, prompts me. It automates the nag for my family because you've got tribe features in there. So I just really wanted to stop being the nag of the household and I wanted to automate stuff so that they became self-sufficient and I basically created an app to do it. Okay. And when did you do that? I did that at night time. I worked full-time. I bootstrapped. I definitely... I didn't really look I overthought things for about three months and I'm a bit of an executioner so I, I can't really sit there and think way too long can't procrastinate I really hate that pet peeve um, so I just got on and did it and I, I just basically started writing my own user stories understanding testing the concept with my friends people around me people at work so many busy people everywhere so there's lots of people to test from in the developed nations uh, so yeah so before I knew it I was just getting a lot of um, like-minded pain that was being shared from the fellow people that I was asking and then I just made that a bit broader and asked a lot more people and then just wrote all the user stories myself started designing it and then um, uh, I I then actually made the decision to um, invest in offshoring it built it built the prototype built Mm. the MVP um, and launched it last March Um, and I'm just shy of 4,000 customers with minimal marketing so congratulations yeah so um, pretty excited about that it definitely has traction Um, uh, definitely was a lot of work not not much sleep Um, Mm. and that's purely because I I bootstrapped and, and did it at night Right. So, so for those yeah. who don't understand the terminology of bootstrapping, that oh, means yes. you paid for it yourself. Correct. Yeah. The old-fashioned way. It's like, it's like doing it, it's, it, it, I, think, I think it comes from the old-fashioned term about putting yourself up by your bootstraps. Own bootstraps, mm, yeah, correct. That's right. That's where it comes from, yeah. Exactly. Right. So that's, that's what I ended up doing. So I, I joined River City Labs as a means to basically get immersed into the startup ecosystem and also to truly learn about capital raising and the startup journey because I came from corporate. Um, my concept of enterprise systems and startup technology, completely different things. Mm. Don't translate. So, okay, um, (laughs) what is the difference between enterprise and startup? Well, I guess the thing with enterprise systems, with most organisations you work for, the role I did was a lot of recovery and transformation, so digital systems. So I would go in to something that's already ready-made, it's got floors, warts and all, it's easy to pick apart and translate that to something good that's workable in my eyes anyway for me that i could do that with my eyes shut building something from a from blank scratch. page 
That is a completely different kettle of fish. Is, so is that what you did with Chihu? Yes. You've, d- you've built that yeah. from the ground yeah, so up. Yeah, native apps from the ground up. Um, look, I made the decision to do that, A, because I'm, I, I was building with the end in mind. So some people would criticise and go, well, you should have done this, you should have done that. Oh, well, whatever. Yeah, well, you I, go and do it yourself. Exactly. <laughs> uh, tell me when you're done. Um, I, I basically wanted to make sure that it was um, a product that was sound, And the reason for that is because my target audience are females and busy females. We have less tolerance. We're too busy. We'll kill an app off our phone quite quickly if it doesn't work for us um, and download the next one that comes along. So my customer and my audience are quite uh, unforgiving. uh, And so I I really just looked at myself as the customer as well as my peers around me. Uh, And and I had a pretty good customer uh, testing base. I had a lot of friends and colleagues, management consultants who wanted to test it because they all wanted it for their households. Mm. Um, So it was... So have you done many many changes? I have, I have. um, So I've spent the last, um, over the last... 12 months um, actually enhancing the product as we've go I've, I've received feedback and I keep adjusting it and changing it um, and and look I've still got a long way to go I've, I've changed the business model the commercialized uh, the monetization model once already um, and now this one's working <laughs> um, so um, I, I have to I definitely change because you can tell straight away through the analytics um, that comes through a lot of you know modern day apps these days you can tell straight away when the performance is going down and people are not interested mm. and as soon as you make the tweak you can see the adjustment so, you can so see the downloads and the changes so what's what, so who's the target market and what's the value proposition what are you what is it really offering so it's offering time oh. time back Oh, that's worth something. Yeah. Um, so I, I, it's a digital assistant in your back pocket that nags you. It's like a mini me. So rather than the, the worst thing about having a PA, a no one really can afford it. Um, it's quite uh, old school now. <laughs> uh, having a digital PA is a little bit of a different thing. Uh, you could have a virtual PA. I had a virtual PA, which is one that's offshore. Um, but you know, you have to translate everything in your head to train them up to what you need, your habits. I think technology can do the same thing and it can be more affordable and it can be in everyone's back pocket. Um, so with the smarts and the vision of what I have for Chihu, I, I believe everyone deserves the right to a personal assistant because we need technology to work for us, not the other way around. So uh, if, if you're interested in taking a look at this, because um, it's it's fascinating, Chihu, C-H-E-E-H-O-O. Okay, so go and check it out. This is on um, Android and on iOS, iPhone? Yeah, yep. and iPhone, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So loved it. Uh, still loving it. Lots of uh, highs, lots of lows. Um, and you know, uh, I'm now at River City Labs, and uh, it's the best day job that I could have asked for because it's a bit of a different day job because uh, it allows me to be completely immersed in understanding um, what other people's journeys are and also being able to give back a bit. Um, but one of the biggest motives I did have to join River City Labs was to learn about investment <laughs> and whether to pitch. Or not to, to pitch. pitch. Oh. And have you have you come to a conclusion on this yet? I have come to a conclusion that I need to pitch. You need to pitch. Yes. Okay. And the rationale for that being the rationale is I need to grow. 
Right. In order for me to grow, I can no longer sustain bootstrapping it. Mm. Um, it's either product or it's marketing, unfortunately, for my capacity uh, financially to run both things. And and in order for me to get where I need to get to at a, at a speed and to reach the markets I need to reach, um, I, I definitely need investment. Uh, and so I've been researching and learning about capital and uh, raising, about what it takes to invest uh, in a business, a good business, and, and trying to... To work towards that um, chi who wise uh, and, and so the good part about that is I also get to date a lot of investors and, and learn about them <laughs> uh, which is definitely an ulterior motive but one that I profess uh, and proclaim from the onset so um, to me it's better I eat the own dog food that I tell the founders around me as well Absolutely. No, that, 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 makes, that makes perfect sense. So where do you want to take Chihu? So Chihu, uh, it's already uh, uh, in global shores. So um, I've got about 40% of customers in America, um, uh, so about 16% in the UK and the rest in Australia, and then bits and bobs around the world. Um, so a, a PA, a personal assistant, uh, doesn't matter whether you're in Australia, in America, the UK, yeah, or so wherever. The goal, the goal is to Similar build a technology which should remain the same because the fundamentals of compartmentalizing your life into lists and to-do lists and organization of events and tribes is the same everywhere. The difference and the uniqueness is that I want it to be a technology that connects to providers of assistance. So consider this, and I've never said this out publicly, I've only said it to a few trusted people because I'm still researching it. I'm working with a potential partner um, who will partner with us to fulfill this, but think of Uber Eats for assistance, right? So not the food, Mm -hmm. but go fetch me my dry cleaning, go pick this up, go that. A couple of clicks and I can outsource a task rather than just having the task and having my internal tribe, my family do it, uh, or myself do it when I get the time. It's also having the ability to actually outsource that to someone locally. So creating jobs locally as well as being able to do it, do it to a virtual PA. Um, so there's a couple of, that's where the vision is. Uh, that's where I'd like to go. Uh, and that's what I'm working on in the background. This is, this is beginning to sound like a pitch. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. What Can't help like? myself. <laughs> Do you also have a desktop version? Of no, I don't have a desktop. Are you going to? You know, it's not a bad thing. Customers, a couple of, a few people have asked for it, but majority of people have said, I want something off my phone. You can print though. So you can print out your calendar, you can print out your list and everything else. Uh, customers ask for that from day one. I need to still be able to print so that they can check stuff off. I said, cool. So we enabled it to be, uh, you can virtually print off um, whatever you want off the app. Um, but no, it, it's not on a desktop yet. If, if mm. the customers demand it, we'll prioritize it and see what we can do. But I think these days, I mean, the mobile device has become so ubiquitous in terms of Very a, much. something that people mm. use. I, I actually would say, unless there's really massive demand for it, you might not. No, and it. there's yeah. not. Yeah. It's not at the yeah. moment. Yeah. So 70% of females in Australia, especially, like they use off, they work off their smartphone, not off the desktop. Mm, yeah, no, that, I, I'm in yeah. the 30% that still work on desktop. <laughs> well, I, I, I work on, I work on I both, do both as well. So. But mm. I, can, I think an app like that it suits itself mm. so well to, 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 you know, to the mobile device. Then you know, why worry with the desktop stuff, I would say. But hey, I'm no expert on this stuff. So there we go. Now, that sounds really fascinating to build that out. But I'm thinking that's going to be more of a platform. Well. It is a platform. So we are building a platform. We're looking to be a platform. We're not necessarily looking to fulfill the assistance component. 
um, we'd like to be the smarts and the brains in the middle. Cool. Anyway, there's a lot we could dig into there. Yeah. 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 So let's take a, a quick yeah. break and, and we'll come back in just a moment. This is Bay FM 100.3 Searchlight and the Entrepreneur's Journey, and we have Pauline with us, and it is fascinating. Want to hang around or go and check your phone? Chi Who? Go and download it. This is Bay FM. Back after this. Do you need a male doctor who will listen to you to discuss your health concern? Was your last skin check? Just great music. This is Bay FM 100.3. And Searchlight, The Entrepreneur's Journey. And tonight we're talking about to pitch or not to pitch. And that is the question. We've had Steve Baxter, the shark from Shark Tank on the show. Right now we have the general manager of River City Labs, which is what Steve Baxter set up many years ago for the startup, for people who've got a great idea and don't know what to do. What's the next step and the next step and the next step? So Steve set that up. We have the uh, general manager, Pauline Fatale, with us right now. So Pauline, we've been talking about your app and your own startup, Chihu. Go and check it out, ladies. Go and check it out. You want to get your life organized? This is the way to do it. It's all in your hip pocket. But right now, if we can transition and talk a little bit more about River City Labs. Now I can say personally, it's an amazing space. It is an amazing program. I've literally just finished only a few weeks ago uh, being part of the River City Labs Activate program for my own startup and it was amazing. Easiest way to explain it I guess is like trying to drink from a fire hydrant. There's a lot (laughs) of information. There's amazing mentors. It is an incredible journey and you've got a a brand new cohort that started today. Today. Yeah, cohort three of this year. So Activate program. So it's targeted early stage startups and and the goal is to get them through basically qualify their idea get them validated quickly get them into some pseudo level product market fit at minimum understanding their product to their customer understanding their market um, working a bit on their business models but most importantly also understanding whether they need to raise or not and getting them ready for an investor pitch which is the goal at week five um, we definitely have had quite some good quite a good traction this year uh, there's a lot of entrepreneurs who are coming out with pursuing their industry dream of fixing a problem they've been seeing um, <laughs> like yourself mm-hmm. uh, and and also um, there are a lot of active investors hovering around Queensland. Um, so, so for me, it was a no-brainer because the market dictated that we needed to run something for the early-stage startups. Uh, we also have um, a longer process of a program that we support scale-up founders that also live in residence. We have about 50 startups in residence uh, and they're tech startups at River City Labs. Um, and we're really lucky because they, they come from all different industries and background. Uh, some are tech founders, some are business founders with co-founders who are tech uh, and, and some are solo founders bootstrapping or working their way uh, to capital raise or going on their own as well through grants and other ways. So there's definitely um, a very good appetite at the 
moment in regards to pursuing um, people's startup and their passion uh, and something they want to execute on, uh, which is pretty good to see. And our cohort three started today. Um, we have uh, actually six fantastic startups to end off the year. Uh, our next program will kick off uh, in February next year, uh, and we will run this about three to four times a year, uh, where it's basically five weeks intensive qualifying. Intensive them. is the word. And then, and then we nurture them and catch them three months after that. Oh. <laughs> it's, it is a fabulous program. So two entrepreneurs in residence. We've got Peter Laurie, Lou Jury. Yeah, um, they are amazing. They are amazing. Uh, so knowledgeable. Uh, both have done their own businesses, been a part of businesses, um, chairmen's, and, and creating new businesses all the time. But not only that, they advise on so many tech startups um, around Queensland, around Brisbane, and help them get to where and they need Anthony to. Anthony Owen talking about the. Anthony's phones. fantastic from on market, and his and he's a founder, serial entrepreneur himself. Mm, he's wonderful, and of course, and boy. Jason from Cake Equity, mm. um, and myself. As so if you've got an idea that you uh, have been sitting on and thinking, oh, should I or shouldn't I, should I or shouldn't I, you've, you've heard it from Steve Baxter tonight, just do it. Just don't even think about it, just do it. Go out. And if you're looking for assistance, if you're looking for the help, well, you've got Searchlight, the Entrepreneur's Journey. We're here every single month, but you've got the River City Labs. Yeah. Pauline is the general manager. And, like, Pauline, if someone is sitting on an idea at the moment mm. and they're thinking, oh, should I or shouldn't I? Next cohort starts in February. How do people get well, involved? Well, I, I definitely wouldn't wait till February. Not that I don't want to pitch my own um, River City Labs programs, but, but you don't actually have to wait. If you have an idea and you actually know that the problem exists in a market that can actually, someone would want to buy a solution to that problem, like it's worth buying, you know, because sometimes you fix a problem and it's actually not worth buying because the value is not there. If you've actually got something like that, Nothing is stopping you from researching and qualifying that on your own. Or you can obviously go, come and join River City Labs on any day of the week, even on the weekends, um, and be a resident there and be a member there. Um, but there is nothing stopping you from actually starting on that journey because there is enough material, enough people, especially in the Queensland startup ecosystem, it is quite mature. Um, I was listening to your session earlier, and I agree with you, John, that you know um, Steve did play a large role, River City Labs played a large role in building out this ecosystem uh, and put it on the map and, and we do have a lot of fanfare that goes through there now because of that. Um, but you have so many people who are passionate to help you. Um, so the more you can ask, which I didn't do in the beginning, I, I incubated in my head quite a lot. Um, I find most a lot of female founders yeah. do, actually. We incubate, overthink. Unfortunately, we criticise ourselves. We're the biggest critics, which means we're, the, we're great at perfecting something. Um, but, yeah, get it out as fast as you can in regards to validating and just start working on it. Um, when opportunities arise and the right program arises for you, then jump in if it serves you. Uh, I wouldn't just jump into a program if you're not interested in, in pitching, you're not interested in actually looking for capital or looking to find reach um, because that's the flip side of pitching. If you're not looking to raise capital, it's great brand awareness, it's great reach. But that, yeah, I get that. I think one of the, one of the things that one of the critiques I sometimes have uh, is with I think what tends to happen is not enough effort goes into that pre-validation stage. 
So the classic conversation you often have with somebody is, you know, go, hey, I've got this great idea to do something. I've got a great idea for an app or a great idea for a product. And you go, and you start scratching away and uncovering it and, and testing it a little bit. And then you go, well, okay, so who have you tested this with? And you go, well, I've had a chat with my mates about it in the pub, and they think it's a great idea. You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe a little more work's needed than that. You know, you've got to get out there. And the acid test is always, is will somebody pay for it? That's, I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the real key thing that I don't think is always pushed to the testing point that has to be done. Yeah. Uh, and so doing that and getting that level of market validation and that proof that actually what you're offering has sufficient value so somebody will give you money for it, hmm. um, that has to be done. And I think the other thing we see is we see a lot of people who are very good technical practitioners of some element of what they're doing. They're very good at their particular you know, professional, their particular thing. But what they haven't yet been able to do is wrap a business model around that. They haven't been able to think about how they monetize that, how they how they how they actually turn it from a, from something they're very good at doing into a business. Mm. And though, so programs like Accelerate, I think, will take them through that process. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does, and it it challenges them on those questions or their blind spots that they mm. may have. Um, I, unfortunately, though, I, I, I see a lot of founders, um, they don't spend too much time on that upfront boring stuff. Um, and, and the reason for that is because they're, like, captivated by their own idea. Yes. And they're fantasizing about the potential of where it could be. But the reality is the amount of hard work you have to do in between. Like, I, I basically would tell people I haven't slept for 12 months. I literally didn't. I was like a zombie, walking zombie, um, and, and barely getting sleep because I was testing till 2 a.m. every morning, then getting up and going to work. The reality is it's not... There's, there's no honeymoon. There's no sort of, you know, sexy thing about it, really, until you actually are... Um, having a return for your investment, I don't think you can really relax. And people can also get carried away, and I've seen this. They and, and it, I'm a victim of it because I, I'm just a very good self-critic. I slap myself very quickly to wake up. Um, but you can kind of fantasize and get carried away with any form of good news. So you get a little bit of validation, mm -hmm. yeah. get a bit of good feedback, especially from a customer. Like mm. I remember when I hit my first 300 customers, I was so excited. I was beside myself and. And then I realize and put into perspective, oh, literally, okay, that's just the shopping center down the road. Okay, great. Yeah. I've accomplished the shopping center <laughs> down the road. <laughs> okay, slap myself, go back to testing, keep going. But, 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 I mean, oh, you could have had a half a glass of champagne at that point. I, I like, probably oh, had a bottle, um, <laughs> yeah, and then woke up the next day. Congratulations. <laughs> now let's just do the next 300. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so it, it's great to fantasize, pat yourself on the back for the hard work, uh, enjoy the journey, but don't get too carried away and distracted I, I really was quite focused on one stage at a time which people could think oh it's too slow well I didn't really work through slow I built it and I had it done in 10 months that's pretty good for an Android and iOS launch to market um, but the thing is that, you know, it was a very long, long 10 but, months. But you had clarity on those... I had worked on it six months prior. I always say there's starting. two key questions you've got to ask at the beginning. You know, who's going to buy it and why they're going to buy it? Yeah. And if you can't have sufficient clarity about answering those questions, then you probably don't have a business model. Correct. Yeah. The third thing you have to do is, is, make, is, is understand... If you can answer the first two, what the third question is, well, what are you going to do to make sure they buy yours as opposed to somebody else's? Because there's almost invariably alternatives Correct. in the market. Space. And I don't think you can yeah. prevent that. But if you've got tech, that's where the global reach helps. And scalability. And scale. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the, the only thing I would say with the... Um, 
people getting the monetization model right, and I'm a sufferer for this. I, I've worked on products for large companies. I've worked on big things um, that had complex issues and a lot of research behind them. But I don't know if everyone truly can say your cu- you know your customer that well that you know how much they're going to pay and at when they're going to pay. So testing out a model and having to adapt your model is something that I think all, especially tech startups, you need because you, you have to be able to receive the feedback and change it and not be so glued to it because, unfortunately, like in my case, my first model didn't work, so I've changed it and now this one seems to be working. But, but that's not that unusual. That's quite normal to go through that That process, yeah. yeah. So I don't. what I'm saying is I don't necessarily think founders are going to get it straight away, even mm. if they think they do. And my caution is even if you think think you know it all you probably don't and it's going to change about 10 times like when i hear someone's going to write their whole business plan before they start going out and market testing i go please don't you're wasting paper that's what i was saying about no was it no battle plan survives the first encounter with the enemy or something like that thank you that's my point i love that i love that that's it that's one of those art of war things isn't it no plan survives the first encounter with the enemy you have to change the plan yeah and you know we talk a lot about pivoting and all that sort of thing i mean and i'm a great believer in laser-like focus on the commercial objective but yeah. you'd still have to have a pretty high degree of flexibility in that because you've got to be responsive to what the market or your customers are telling, telling you, you know, mm. otherwise you know you know as, as it's, it's it's like we say in sales you're born with two ears and one mouth use them in that proportion you I know? love that <laughs> totally of, love oh, I've got loads of these I could, I could bore you with <laughs> keep them going yeah, <laughs> so when you pivoted on your business model how mm. long did it take you to realise this is what your customers wanted uh, in Oh, they started paying within the first two weeks. So the ones who were downloaded started upgrading, like paying in the first two weeks. It changed straight away. That's good. So so prior to that, people were downloading, using it. It was a hit and and miss, not upgrading. They just wanted the free, yeah. Okay. The price point was wrong too. Right. Yeah, it's about understanding at what point the value proposition becomes one where the customer's prepared to part with Mm -hmm. money, and that's about mapping customer journeys and all that kind of stuff. Exactly, exactly. Okay. Cool. That's been really interesting. Pauline, mm. that's been absolutely wonderful. So so just just going back to Chi Hu for a second or two then. So and and funnily enough it picks up on something Steve was saying earlier. So mm. you 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 bootstrap Chi Hu, but the thinking now is you're gonna be pitching with that to scale effectively. Yeah. So, so you're gonna be doing exactly I need money to yeah. Right. I think yeah. I missed that part when I was hopping out of the car. Uh, yeah. But um I yeah, I need to scale and I need funding to invest in both maintaining a platform, growing a platform with the customer feedback as well as the marketing. So it, it makes sense now logically and also I have traction. Um, which is a which is the plus. use yes. which yeah. which is demonstrating that the product the problem is there. Yep. The customers are there. I know who the customers are. And most importantly, they're prepared to part with money. And they're prepared to part with money, but I now need that on scale. I might have to tweak the model still more, and that is a that I have no doubt on that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also need to bring on people. I'm at that point where I need to bring on people, Um, my family and friends and ex-colleagues and everyone that I'm cashing in favours on, um, probably going to get sick of me soon. You you might reach the point of having to give up the day job, you know. That's my plan. (laughs) I told my boss that, sorry, Siobhan, uh, wherever you are, but I I told her, I was like, ah, you know, I'm not going to be here forever, but I'm here for a good solid period. But I I actually do love being a part of River City Labs. This, to me, does not feel like a job. Mm. The reason is because I'm talking to like-minded people 
and their products, and I don't know if you got this, Sharon, but I get completely engrossed in what they're doing as well, um, which is my downfall because I'm a workaholic. Um, but I, I definitely uh, love to see the innovative ideas and the way they're doing things, which I'm learning so much from, and being able to pass that back to other founders and I sharing it around. I love being in the space. Um, as you said just then, being around like-minded people. Because if you if you think like an entrepreneur and you think outside the box and you've got this creative brain that goes buzzing around all over the place, trying to find someone else on that same wavelength, I'm sorry, that's very, very difficult. And it's so lonely, that was then more, it gets lonely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, hey. Oh, what so I, I loved River City Labs for that reason, just being around people who've got a brain like mine. And Hello. the people you get to meet is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Certainly when I did my startup, although when I did it, we didn't have startups. We just we just started running a business. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of a new business, we weren't yeah. in startups in those days. But it was it was a very lonely experience. Yeah. Uh, there, was no, there, was, there was none of this stuff existed. You know, you no, couldn't I go agree. and have to. No so pitching? Huge, there was certainly no pitching. And it was it was all about you know you you had to go alone. It was actually a lot of it was about going alone. Mm. It was often referred to as going it alone. At least we're not going it alone these days. We've got fantastic support networks Mm. and infrastructure that places like River City Labs and yourself supply, which I think is fantastic. So thank you for that. Um, Our time sadly is coming more or less to an end. It's gone really quickly, but um, I'd like to just end on the on this one little thing I like to ask all of our guests, which is if you had one little key piece of advice for somebody thinking of starting out what Mm. would it be i would say um brace yourself for the unknown prepare to work harder than you actually have planned for and uh execution is king so don't overthink things because your plans will always change love it thank you very much and go and join river city labs and if you need to pitch go and bloody pitch (laughs) yeah sure no that's right pitching for pitching for sales is good pitching for investment is equally good just make sure you know what you're doing when and your audience perfect and and one last plug chi hu yes c h double e h double o do you have a web page or is this yeah there's a website go to chi hu.me dot me chi hu.me as in digital assistant for you Oh, that's very clever. <laughs> so go and check it out. Thank you for having me. This I'm is surrounded by all this amazingly clever stuff. I think, I think at that point we'll have to take a break. Yeah, <laughs> that would be a good idea. We'll be back in just a moment with another wonderful local entrepreneurial story. And this is going to be very interesting as well. This is Bay FM 100.3, Searchlight and the Entrepreneur's Journey. Coochie Hydrogreen for a healthy lawn, a business that has been... A- Doobie Brothers, Channel Love. You're listening to Bay FM 100.3, the heart and the soul of the Bay, and you're listening to Searchlight, the entrepreneur's journey with John and Sharon. You certainly are. Gee, it's been a busy night so far, hasn't it? And a lot of fun. It's packed, it's packed, and we're only halfway through. I know. I know the time-wise, we're more than halfway through, but there's more, there's, 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 there's more to come. And uh, we're finding out more about this whole issue of whether to pitch or not to pitch. And our next guest is now with us. We have with us Karen Owen from Owen Custom Products. They're based in the Redlands. Uh, Owen Custom Products design and manufacture mining control products, and in particular things called swing pedals for drag lines. We'll find out what those are in I have no idea what that yeah, is. No, I have no idea. Sounds intriguing. We'll find, we'll find out. We'll find out. Um, they've got a customer list that's a really a who's who of uh, the mining, the world of mining and heavy machinery. Karen is the director of the business and also their business development manager. Karen, good evening. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Yay. So, I, I've, I've, I'm going to start off by asking you this because I really don't know 
what is a swing pedal and what is a drag line? <sighs> uh, drag line is the biggest piece of equipment that you find on a mining field. Oh, right. Like, so what does it do? It re- with coal mining, it removes the overburden, that is, all the dirt that's on the top of the coal and allows, then, allows them then to be able to get into the coal. Right. So it takes the overburden and then dumps it over there. Oh, okay. So it's like a big bucket? Huge bucket. Right. Huge Got it. big bucket. Got it. Got it. So you make those? You and Eric make the What buckets? we do is we do the control system that operates the big boom that's off the front of the drag line that's got the bucket on it. Okay. Ah. Um, that's what it does. Okay, so, and now, so now you know what a swing pedal is, right? But, a, but, but so that's controlled with pedals and that's yeah, swing Yeah, okay. Pedal. What yeah. happens is in a, in a drag line, you've got a, f- a big floor and above that floor, the operator sits in a console and he's got two pedals on the, on the, the top of the floor and all of the equipment prior to us coming along mm. was underneath the floor. Mm-hmm. So... What used to happen is that if anything went wrong, they'd have to bring a cherry picker in and climb under the floor. These swing pedals operate the left to the, the left to right movement of the boom, so they they pick up and then they dump. So oh, okay. in my mind, I'm imagining kind of like a big crane, yes, sort of. Mm. Yes, yes. Good. Okay. So before you came along, that's what you were doing. You saw that as a problem. No, what happened was we got a phone call from um, someone that we knew that said that the mining industry had dropped this product at his manufacturing facility and asked him to fix a problem with it. And he rang us and he said, I have no idea what to do with this. I'm I'm a repetition guy and I've got no blueprints. I have no idea what to do. So he rang us. Eric went over that afternoon. That's my husband. Had a look at it came home and he just said i can do it i'll I'll do do it just like that now briefly explain uh eric's skills and his passion are really unique and i think that that is the reason why you've managed or eric has has managed to to take a look at this product and go yeah i can do that Eric is very unique. Not too many people could do what he has done. So do you want to explain that one? Um, He's always been interested in building things and making things. And prior to mining, we were in photographics. We used to do um, repair commercial photographers' cameras, the big ones, the Mamiya's, the Nikon's, the Hasselblad's, all of those, and that's what he used to do. And he was always making things for the photographers, one of, you know, a photographer will come to him and say, yeah, I need this widget to do this, this is what I need to do. He would just make it. Right, so he, that's no what blueprints, he used to do. no nothing, no, straight out of his imagination. When he did this pedal, I tell you, he had um, sticky labels all along the wall. He'd do a piece and put a sticky label on. Do a piece, and I said, if you ever get a breeze through here, you are in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's basically. So he said to me one day, "Good design is inherent. If you've you." know how it works you can do anything you can do anything and that's what eric is very very good at he's just recently uh made from scratch a rather unique machine did you see that i did right he's he's a member of um the south coast restoration society Mm -hmm. and they like to build things 
So he's built this engine. And I have to say, when he was building it, I could not work out why you would go ahead and build that. I mean, what's it going to do? You know? But he built it, and it's just beautiful. And they take it to all the rallies. We use that as an opportunity as well with the stuff that he's built to show what he can do because you never know when that next opportunity is going to turn up and someone's going to see it and think, can you make me a... Mm. Sorry, when, when you say an engine, what sort of engine? I'm, I'm kind of mixed. Yeah, I, I, no, I <laughs> the way I describe it is it's a stop-start engine. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> no, it's, a it's and called a hit-and-miss. Yeah, it's a hit-and-miss engine, and it's, it is very beautiful. Oh. It is very beautiful. Oh. And um, they take it, and all the guys get together at rallies, and they um, sh- show off. Mm. <laughs> I don't know what else. But he made you know? it without blueprints. He, oh, really? This is something, it's a very, very old-fashioned engine that was used on farms many years ago. Mm. And there's no blueprints for it. And there's there's none of he these machines. that. It's yeah. not, usually they get them and they restore old ones. Mm. But in this instance, um, he just built an old one. Mm. Brand new. Scratch, brand new, <laughs> that's right, that's right. So when when he was approached... Um, by this guy Bruce to do this pedal to mm. say could he done it he already has been the recipient of an Australian Design Award a Prince Philip Prize he um, was a runner up in the Premier's Award for Industry, all of that kind of stuff so he already had that kind of design recognition Got under it. his belt okay. alright so so, the, so his, his real core skill was this ability to see how something works or design something or you know bolt it together and make it go. Uh, simplify. Yeah. Yeah. Ta- you can wow. give him something complicated like, sure. that looks complex mm-hmm. and he simplifies it. Wow. That's what he does. So you had, you had going, going back to the story of how the, yeah. the business came about, so you, so you approach, somebody approached you to say, oh, we've got this problem with this, can you, can you, can you redo this? And he looked at it and basically said, I can he, do By better. the time he got home, and yeah. they'd been pondering over it for months and months and months, mm. and by the time he got home, he just walked in the door and said, you know, I can do it. I'm <laughs> fine. Right, it, it, typical. I can do that. Anyway, the problem was that with these pedals, as I described, the pedals are on the top of the floor. The 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 drivers in the console of the machine, and the equipment's underneath. Over the years, uh, no one has re- had really looked at the old the um, old machines. Forty years on, they're still using in the drag lines exactly the same equipment that they had. And the problem they're running into is that a lot of the um, the parts were no longer available. Mm. So you've got old technology, and then they're trying to band-aid it and put new technology on, and they're having major issues with that. So they needed him to organise, to marry the two, the old and the new technology, so the thing would work, and it wouldn't be always shutting down. They were shutting them down all the time because they're just breaking down. Right, so he saw a way to re-engineer this and fix Absolutely. that problem. Uh, well, that was the first part, correct. Yeah. yeah, he did that and then some so, months... So how did we get from that to the business that you've got today? What, uh, was, the, what was the story um, there? What was, what was the entrepreneurial journey that you... The entrepreneurial... Well, yeah. um, we had an accountant at the time who... I didn't want to do it. It, it was you know, Eric's thing. And I actually, in the beginning, didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And I had this accountant that lined me up and slapped me around a bit and said, if you don't do it, what's going to happen is it's going to, he's going to build them. He's on a roll. He's going to build them. Mm. They're going to sit on a shelf. 
they're going to go nowhere. Oh, he just wanted to make them, just to just start making them. Right, okay. <laughs> Don't ask. He was just going to start making them. Oh. Okay, okay, okay. Right. Yeah. He just wanted to make them, right. you know? Yeah. And so Nick said to me, you, you have to do something. I went, oh, I don't want to do it. Anyway, I thought about it and then um, figured that he was probably right. I knew nothing, like you guys, knew nothing about drag lines, knew nothing about the mining industry, had no clue, but decided that I'd do it. That I'd, you'd get out there and market it? I would get out and market it. I figured I could do it. It can't be that hard. You know, this is a mining industry. This is a hundred and something million dollar machine. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> so, so you had to become the salesperson to his... To his, his product design skills, yeah. Now, we'll take a quick wow. break because what happens next with... Uh, there was some interesting international argy-bargy that Ooh. occurred. Ooh. We'll find out what happened with that in just a moment. This is Bay FM 100.3. Searchlight, the entrepreneur's journey. <laughs> Powderfinger, my happiness. You're listening to Bay FM 100.3, the heart and the soul of the Bay, and you're listening to Searchlight, the entrepreneur's journey, and we're here with Karen Owen of Owen Custom Products, and we've been hearing from Karen about how her husband has this amazing ability to manufacture and create products and how they were called on to create a, uh, a particular product for the mining industry that has been pretty successful for them, I think, for the last few years. So... Karen, before we took that break, you were you were we were talking about you know how that how the, how that product evolution commenced and started, and how you would then realise you really had to sort of become his um, his salesperson, really, for for want of a better way of putting it. So, yep. what happened then? What, what so, what the- actually happened was he um, we were fixing these ones that he was marrying the old and new technology on, and it was through part way through that a few probably a couple of months he said you know what, this is the dumbest design. It really needs to be... All all the problems that they're having with that need to be designed out. I'm going to build them another one and we're going to put it all in the cabin because currently what happened was happening was that the guys, if something broke down underneath the floor, they would have to bring a cherry picker in, climb up underneath into sometimes a gas-filled cavity to work upside down Mm. in... The drag line, right? Uh, yeah, and dangerous. I know. And when they open the bottom of it, if there's another a line of drag lines further down and the wind's coming this way, all the dust from the work that they're doing comes up into the mechanism, right? So he's paranoid about everything has to work properly, it's got to be perfect, and he just figured out every single thing that could have gone wrong mm. and designed it out. Mm. So currently what we have is one that is in the cabin. Mm-hmm. The guys don't have to climb up underneath. There's no more cherry pickers coming across, and it's contained in an air-conditioned um, air-conditioned cabin. Mm. So you have saved the mining industry millions of oh, dollars. Absolutely. Um, if if that machine is down for a minute, it's like three thousand US dollars a minute. Down is what the downtime costs them. Mm. It's huge. So that, that from a, from a sales point of view, that's a pretty 
persuasive sort of sales pitch. How, but how did you go about delivering it? How did you set about yes, getting I, that out? Okay, there? so when it, when it was decided that I was going to have to do it, mm. right? <laughs> uh, the thing I realised in the beginning was a BDM and a salesperson at that sales are really closely connected. Mm. You know, in my head, I could see that the two things were basically the sa- almost the same. Business it, development manager yes, and a salesperson, yes. same per- same thing. Yeah, yep. you know, we one this one finds a business and this one executes. So you kind of know. So what's you going were it on. for both. Oh yeah, 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 and still are. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, so how I went about doing it was the first thing I did was make a call to the state government and ask them for the list on all the drag li- all the um, coal mining companies firstly in Australia. Then I broke it down into just Queensland. Um, I then rang every single one of them and to find out who was the person that we would need to talk to if we needed to talk about drag lines. So I got, you know, the supervisors, the superintendents, the drag line, you know, the person who's in charge. Um, also found out the names of the engineers that worked on them. So I had I had my names from every single one. Then what I did was bought a box of manila, fo- um, of, you know, this plastic coated folders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And sat down and did my own presentation printed them out, put them in the books, hand-wrote them to everyone whose names I had and sent them out, just posted them. I posted them on a Thursday. There were hundreds of them. And on the Tuesday, I got my first call. (laughs) And the mine was one of the flag flag mines up in the Mm -hmm. Barn Basin, one of the bigger Mm -hmm. ones. And, and this is of the new design yeah. product, right? Yeah, yeah. The, we decided he wanted to do, do the old ones. They really needed to have a real one, mm-hmm. like a proper one, that handled the RSI of the ankles, the legs. You know, there was a whole bunch of health issues that the um, operators were suffering from as well. Mm-hmm. So he hand, was handling those. Um, so, so you, you got, got your got first got sale. Well, it was. What happened was they rang and he 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 introduced himself and he said, uh, "We need to talk." <laughs> and I said, "What about?" And he said, "Page 8. <laughs> so I flicked through my book to see what was on page eight, and um, the end result was that we had dis- Eric and I decided we would do whatever it took. And I said to this guy, "We're prepared to drive up to Morumbah before mm. the end of the before the end of the week and bring it up for you to have a look at." And he said. Well, no, that's too far for you to drive. How about we meet in Rockhampton? Mm. I said, that's cool. <laughs> so that's what we did. Mm. So that was the very first. And then because it was a BMA mine... So that, what, that, was, what, your, that was your first That was, a very, yeah. that was the first one. Yeah. It was BMA. Okay. Gnella, actually. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Dragline 27. <laughs> Such a beautiful <laughs> machine. Yeah. <laughs> I have a big picture. It is now. <laughs> So that, so, that so was, that was the first sale. So how did how did you get you know did, did that was it a snowball effect? Did, did, did they sort of it, once they that? put the first one in? Yeah, and the operators actually felt how it felt. Mm. They were fighting over. I'm going to be on Dragline Seven. Mm. I want that new one. Okay. So next, you know, we get the order. Can we just do all of them? I think there were eight, eight or not eight at Ganyella. So you got to do the whole one. We did the whole lot. Wow. And then. Yeah. 
the rest of the BMA mines came on board because right. if you're at Ganyella and then you go to Peak Downs, he would get to Peak Downs and say, ah, oh, why haven't you got the Owen yeah, pedals yeah, yeah. in? Right. They're really, really great, you know? So you have this domino effect in oh, the industry and it just absolutely. sort of took off from there. Wow. Absolutely. But it was huge. Then you, had, uh, then you had an interesting story because you, you've got a patent on that. Yeah. Uh, so you, you had, a v- just briefly, an interesting story where some big boys overseas tried to wheedle their way into your patent. Correct. Well, you could explain a little <laughs> bit more than that. <laughs> Correct. Um, yeah, what happened was that this, this company was in many countries and when they saw that what was going on, because they actually were working up, that, up the coast mm. and they could see what was coming on, going on, they actually built one in opposition, um, the same as ours because they had a hold of one, and then tried to claim that the patent was theirs yeah. and that we had copied theirs. Naughty people. Okay. It was really dreadful. Yeah. And it was so months and months and months of argy-bargy, backwards and forwards, and in the end they had to walk away because, you know what? Can you, can you tell the story of why they, they walked away? Because, Karen, you are just absolutely incredible in the way you handled this i think the the way you got them to pretty much shut up and go away was a master stroke will you share that stop part of the story there's a couple of parts to that the first part was that i i like all those criminal shows you know <laughs> ncis all yeah, of those yeah. and i was watching it so we're in the middle of this big legal battle was costing us a fortune. Mm. Neither of us would... I, I couldn't back down because it was principal. Mm-hmm. And you mention that to your lawyer and he puts his head in his hands and he goes, oh, not principal. Yeah, that's going you to know? cost you a lot of money. Yeah. Shocking. The shock. yeah. Anyway, I was watching the show this night and what I saw was the person who... The person who is making the accusation, it should be... It's up to them to prove that you've done the wrong thing. Well, I didn't know that. Hmm. And when I heard, I thought, oh, right. So I rang the lawyer in the morning and I said to him, this is how it's going to be. We want, there's going to be no more court battles. There's going to be no more legal stuff. We're coming in today and we're going to ring the other lawyers and it's going to be all over because we are not doing it. They need to prove that we've done the wrong thing and we have taken the patent. And he said... You're kidding. I said, we're coming in. So we drove into the city and put the other guys on speakerphone. Mm -hmm. And uh, their comments to us were, um, but we don't want to go to court. We don't want to go to court. We just want to do a deal with you. It's like, well, we don't deal with thugs. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll just do it ourselves. And he said, you'll never do it. They've only got you. Well, that was the wrong thing to say, I'm telling you. <laughs> really was the wrong thing to say. And, and so from that point on, um, they backed off. There was not one more peep out of them. They have closed down um, right along the, the eastern mm. side. They, could never, they couldn't get into any of the mines after that. It they just really wanted to hard. share the patent. That's it, bottom line. They wanted to share the patent but you know, the worst and, part and lie of that, about it. The worst part of that was that they 
when the fight was going on, they actually had taken Eric's patent and forged his signature on it to mm. say that he had handed it to them. Good grief. That's amazing. But and you successfully defended it. That's the important thing. Well, so we just like told yeah. him to go away. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was masterful. That's like, very clever. Yeah. Well, you, we were running out of with money. boxing gloves? <laughs> no, no. Absolutely. But we were running out of money. You know, there's 100 yeah. grand gone, mm. and it's not funny. And they just said, well, we're going to send you bankrupt. You'll just hand it to us. So that's, that's, a, that's a fascinating and interesting story because it does demonstrate that you know, ha- having control of your IP and having IP protection is really a important. really important, a really yeah. important topic. And, and we has, was the subject of a previous program, in fact, about mm. IP and IP protection. But coming back to coming back to um, fun the business and so you were you were going through this probably fairly significant growth phase I'm, I'm, I'm guessing but I'm guessing you were you were you had money coming in from customers yeah. what happened was um, the first um, my bank manager called me in and mm. he he told me at the comment there was a comment grant at the time ah, right. so I remember it was way yeah. back then and um, mm. he said I think that you need to apply and mm. he gave me the details and mm. I applied and it was 80 20 Mm-hmm. In those days, I think it was about eighty thousand okay. dollars. And so I used that first grant to secure the patent mm-hmm. um, and engage a consultant. Right. Okay. Uh, so comic grants, by the way, don't exist anymore. They were around about sort of that's four, correct ten plus years ago. Uh, oh, so, back in about two thousand seven eight. But now largely replaced by things like Ignite grant programs. But uh, but they were uh, they were a state government program. My memory serves me correctly. And uh, so 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 basically, instead of going out and getting investment, you kind of went down. The, you got grant funding. In fact, the fir- yeah. yeah, we got a comic grant the first time, yeah. and then um, we. We're just working our way through each of the mines and doing what we had to do. And then um, we had a call from someone from Commercialisation Australia and said, um, we feel that it would be a good idea if you applied for funding to get this up and going faster mm-hmm. than what you're doing. Yeah. So we applied for a commercialisation grant the first time mm-hmm. and um, we used that. Every dollar, uh, you know, the cash flow is so important every dollar had to be used to the nth degree and you had to get the maximum benefit out of it Mm. all the all the time so um we did the comet grant uh, we did the comet we did the commercialization australia and then um we wanted to go i did actually i wanted to do the u.s market and export right i'd been to one of the state government export things although i really like to do that so um I went to one of the uh, training sessions, came home, thought, yeah, going to do it. Did my research and found out that in America they use a totally different system in the drag lines. Mm. And nothing like Australia's got. The design would be fine, but it's inner workings that were going to be different. So um, I must have mentioned it to somebody because they then said, well, you can actually extend that grant. So there was another commercialisation Australia grant and we used that to build for the American market a solid state pedal, one that was totally different on the inside to here. Wow. And we used that. We finished that project um, six months before it was due. Mm -hmm. And because the other thing about those grants is they're 50-50, you know, they put up 50 and you've got to match them. So mm. half of that, you've got to find half, they, they combined half. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. And so we didn't have 
the the fifty percent that we had to come up for ours. So my pitch to them was, if you give us the fifty. I'll sell my way and make the other 50%. So that put me right, right in the middle of it because I had no choice except to sell and and do it to match what so they gave did, us. Did you consider investor funding at any stage? In this I did, equation? and, yeah, and got told um, you, can, you don't need to do it. You can just sell your way out of the problem. So you used paying customers money effectively to, to fund the, the to fund it to fund it. That's Correct. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That's it. which is exactly what mm, Steve Baxter was talking about the, mm. the, uh, much earlier in the evening. So that's uh, so in a way you bootstrap, but you bootstrapped using customers' money. Uh, you know, best form of funding, paying customers. Uh, but also you were combining grants when you needed those additional sort of kicks in the in the curve to sort of do the next stage and do do the next significant thing. Yeah, that was fabulous, and because um, the we were really in close contact with the the state government guys mm. at the time. Um, they were really forthcoming and letting us know what was available, how you could do it, all of that kind of stuff, and why don't you, you could do this. So it was just great because my mind was going the whole time, absolutely all the time, because there was so much to do and um, we didn't sleep much. Mm. We didn't oh. sleep because it was only the two of us. Mm. We did not sleep much. Yeah. And, and is it still just the two of you, or is there more of you now? Um, if we need to do a run, mm-hmm. we can give it to someone to do. Right. What do you call that? Yeah. Um, outsource. We can outsource if we really, really okay. need to. Okay. But um, not only do we outsource, we, we also do the repairs on them and the maintenance so we have a maintenance agreement with them anything goes wrong they send them back and we do them and over and above that eric still manages to find time to to create uh, wonderful machines (laughs) and widgets and thingy bobs and hoojimi jigs for anyone that's great like if you've got something in your brain you kind of go oh that'd be interesting have a chat with eric yeah and he's so honest that people you know you have guys come in and they've got this idea and they just sit down and talk to him about it you know what do you think can i fix and he just freely gives out the information because he really really loves it that's brilliant just really loves Karen, it. that's been an absolutely delightful story thank you very much indeed for sharing it with us um yeah. what i yeah, unfortunately our time's pretty much up sadly but what i would like to do is just end on that little question i'd like to ask all of our guests which is if you have one p- key piece of <laughs> advice for anybody starting out what would it be i would say research you just need to research and research and research i did that and I also did a a SWAT special. Mm-hmm. I did one of those. Sat down yeah. and worked out what the the um, weaknesses and stuff Strengths, were. Weaknesses, opportunities, yeah, did all that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, know my customer base. I know my customer base extremely well. And I think everyone, if you know what your customers want and you can give it to them. Um, you that's, should be fine. That's what Pauline was saying. Mm. Yeah, I yeah, heard her yeah, say that. Right, yeah, you, so. If you find out what they want and just give yeah. it to them. Yeah. The mining industry was supposed to be hard to get into. In fact, it wasn't. Mm. They opened the doors and we just walked in. Because, because you were exactly, with a solution to a We absolutely, absolutely have the solution. Yeah, and now we just work brilliant. with Caterpillar. And if they building machines, our stuff goes into the new machines. It's fabulous. So if anyone wanted to find you, how do they find you? Uh, we have a website owencustomproducts.com.au Owen O-W-E-N customproducts.com.au for widgets 
and Gidgets and Pujimi <laughs> Watsits. And the things that control drag lines. <laughs> exactly. Those are the things that control. Yeah, that's right. No, that's fantastic. Karen, thank you very much indeed for sharing that with us. That's been a wonder. That's been a wonderful story. Congratulations on the success of your business. That's thank you very much. Brilliant. That's a and and successfully defending your patent even yes. better. Yes. <laughs> Hurrah. And all done from a business based here in the Redlands, which is what Correct. we love as well. So thank you very much indeed. Okay. Gosh. We've covered all the ground already, but we there's have. more to come. More to come. There's more to come. <laughs> it's exciting. So <laughs> let's take a, a musical interlude. Quick break uh, on Bay FM 100.3, The Entrepreneur's Journey. <laughs> By a rose, you're listening to Bay FM 100.3, the heart and the soul of the bay, and you're listening to Searchlight, the Entrepreneur's Journey, with me, John and Sharon. Yes, and it's been an entertaining, full, absolutely amazing show program all night. We started at seven o'clock. We're going right through till ten o'clock. We've had Steve Baxter. We've had Pauline Fatali. We've had Karen Owen, and now our special guest is Sandra Ebert. Sandra is, uh, runs Mizzy the Kangaroo. She hails from a strong background in marketing and is having worked for some of the big names like BMW, PepsiCo and Reebok. But more recently, though, she's turned her marketing skills towards her own startup, Mizzy the Kangaroo, which is a children's toy product that's sold through toy retailers in Australia, the UK and Europe. Welcome, Sandra. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, thanks for coming along. Um, so, uh, it's a toy kangaroo. <laughs> Yes, well, <laughs> you want to know more about it? Yes, please. Well, basically, we, um, we design and manufacture um, innovative, fun, educational toys for babies between the ages of zero to three that develop children through fun. Oh. And the enabler of this development is Mizzy, the kangaroo, so a Queensland-born kangaroo that was basically born in this world to develop children through fun. Fantastic. And how? Give yes. us a, give us an example. Yes. So we have um, almost fifteen products now, and our hero product is a teething toy um, in the shape of. You're Mizzy getting the them to bite a kangaroo. Good on you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, it's it's enough. Not to eat, <laughs> yes, but it's a 100, um, 100% natural rubber teething toy in the shape of Mizzy. And basically, from that really young age, it not only helps them when they're teething and they've got those really, really sore um, sore gums, but it also um, helps them develop their different senses of sight, hear, and smell, um, and touch as well. And every single one of our other products also teaches age-appropriate skills, those really, really early learning skills that you really need. Um, in those in those early years, and sometimes parents aren't even sure, you know, even from six months, 12 months, 18 months, you're not even 100% sure what your children should be learning. So we really focus on some, some key learning skills that children could be learning through our fun products. So we have, so for example, books aren't just um, reading books. They're either touch and feel books or they're singing books. And the singing books are actually sung by Australian children from Brisbane. Part of the proceeds go back to the school who sang in it. So it's always really nice and interactive and uh, makes children feel in a really um, nice and safe environment for them to learn as they're just playing with our toys. So then, you know, we move on to puzzles and the puzzles aren't just puzzles. They're a puzzle box set that starts with four pieces. Then they move on to six pieces. Then they move on to nine pieces. And we have a musical box. And um, yeah, so we have lots of products that just get 
the so children. It's, it's actually way more than just a toy kangaroo. It's way more than ah, just a toy kangaroo. That's okay. the the origin, and the hero product is Mizzy, and yeah. uh, children start to tee that around. It can be as early as three months old. Um, so from around you know three four months old, they start with Mizzy, and then we have products to entertain and help them learn all the way to about three. We're actually launching a new one very soon that will push that age a little bit, um, but it's all about teaching them in a really fun way and in a really quintessentially Aussie way, as I say this with my non-Aussie accent, but um, in a natural, fun, safe and caring I've got to ask, the, the, the accent is... French-Canadian. French-Canadian. Originally, okay. yes. I am Australian too, but like you are, It's John. like me. I'm, yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm, <laughs> can't, can't you tell I'm as, I'm as Aussie as they come? Exactly. Um, so, <laughs> seriously, seriously. But so mm. where, where did the concept come from for Mizzy then? Where did, where did the, where, where, what was the genesis of that idea? Yes. Well, um, as you mentioned before, you know, my background has been marketing, big brands, big corporate world, um, launching products worldwide. Um, and I ended up here with one of those big companies. And, um, you know, as, as things go in life, I got married and we had a first child. And basically, I knew, you know, everything about life and um, business marketing, as I thought, um, but not much about babies. Actually. And they don't come with an instruction <laughs> they manual. Do not come with an instruction manual. Um, Marketing a BMW Mini was much easier. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> At the yeah. beginning, hundred <laughs> yeah. percent, definitely. Um, uh, but basically, when um, when our you know beautiful bundle of joy, our, our daughter, um, uh, started teething, that's when I realised what an emotional time that is. Not only for the babies, once you know their teeth are coming through and they don't know what to do, they're drooling, they're in pain, but also for the parents. And I and I know that firsthand because we went through it, and it's a really emotional time. You go, gosh, this you know this beautiful sleeping baby all of a sudden they're you know, crying all night you know it's a really really emotional time and that's when from that marketing background went on a research quest and just went right what is out there and I looked at every single product and, I, and then I also found that uh, well first of all you know I found that there was very little in that field um, and I wanted something nice and natural that would help um, that would help babies in a natural teething way not just you know you know, take some Panadol, etc. Um, but then I also found that there was nothing really, um, truly, uniquely Aussie out there that would take babies from that really emotional learning journey all the way through to the toddler years. And and I say that also, you know, coming originally not from here, I, I know how people view Australians and, you know, Aussie animals and everything um, from the outside in as well. And I know that not only here, people love, you know, things that are truly quintessentially Australian, but Globally, people love Aussies, love things that are truly Australian, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, that's then when um, basically Mizzy the Kangaroo was born, and I wanted from the very beginning to have a brand and a product that would be um, um, that would grow globally, but that would help you know children globally um, in a fun way. Because I mean, we all know this: children learn so much better mm. through fun, right? And those first thousand days in a baby's life are really, really critical in their learning journey. Um, a lot of people actually don't know that, but those first about three years are the probably the most, you know, it's what sets the foundation for their future learning journey. And if they can do that all through fun and play, which is, you know, back in the day, a lot of, you know, children playing outside and learning through things, but now we, we do that less and less. And um, so so basically, that's, that's basically how Mizzy was born through wanting to 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 give something to not only 
the children, but to parents and to even also um, enable the parents or empower the parents to give them toys that had a purpose, which was to develop children through fun. So all of our toys have purpose um, and, um, yeah, makes it makes it fun and they learn and, 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 and they like our products, yeah. Now, now you've made that sound really logical, <laughs> simple and <laughs> incredibly straightforward. <laughs> My guess is it may not have been. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so it's funny. I've been listening along um, all evening and, uh, look, it took over two years of research and development. So when I say it started after my daughter was born, um, she's now eight. Uh, the business is five, and it took over two years of research and development to getting, you know, because I had an idea, I knew what I wanted to do, I did a few sketches, but then it was right. How do I do this? So I had to find the right materials, the right manufacturing, um, uh, the man- right manufacturers. Also, from the beginning, I wanted these toys to eventually be sold globally. So I had to have the right certification. I had to have the right, um, you know, I had to find out what needed to be certified. What you know, all, all of those steps and. Um, before launching a product, and with my marketing research background, I, I, it needed to be, you know, I had to tick all the boxes, uh, you know, for myself, um, but also for to be able to launch a successful product. So, so yeah, it sounds, I, I mean, my vision's always been quite clear, <laughs> but mm. it's taking a very, very long but time. But it's an execution process. So, I mean, clearly you've done that very effectively, but I'm also guessing that probably wasn't done at zero cost then there was probably i mean you gotta i can just begin to think i'm no expert in this space but i would guess just to manufacture a toys product for children that age there's probably significant compliance issues it's going to be the whole load of safety requirements all that sort of thing you would have had to gone through all those steps and those loops to get to that every single one of those steps and it's not a, a cheap way of, of, of doing things because mm. especially if you're if you're launching a product that's going into a baby's mouth it needs to be certified well, yeah. in my view anyways and you know and if you want to be able to sell it so knowing knowing that the customers they only want to put something that has a stamp of approval on it um in, into their baby's mouth so um yeah that that process uh w- was quite costly quite time consuming and um up until only recently i have completely done it a hundred percent not bootstrapped um is almost an under i've put everything in it so life savings you know earnings from all these big jobs in the past um so um so, so basically you sunk, you sunk your life savings plus a bit by the sound of no you. well look I've, I, yeah, but once i did all my research did a lot of focus groups you know um got people to try it people were babies mm. they loved it and um and you know that's one of the most satisfying things of course you see babies down the street chewing on mizzy the kangaroo um and it's it's not just my friends <laughs> it's um you know babies out there so once once i knew that we had a really you know viable product that people wanted uh, people needed um then i i, I it gave me the confidence that yep this is definitely right and um I think that once you decide, you either do it halfway or all in, right? And um, if you do it halfway, it's probably not going to be very successful. So it had to be all in. So sometimes, you know, it probably does cost a bit more than than you expect it to. But um, if you get the results and the traction, then you have to just keep going. So what at what stage? Because I, I, I do have mm. to know that you have got some funding mm-hmm. for your business. So what stage did the the possibility of external investor type funding come onto the radar for you? Mm-hmm. It was, um, I've always had, you know, quite a bit of a 
a business plan or a goal of where I wanted to go. But it's when I um, started seeing, okay, we have great tra- traction here in Australia. Um, hmm, so how... If I replicate that into the European market where we're getting a lot of online orders and, you know, we're getting already a lot of uh, requests, etc., how does that look like? And then if I go into the U.S. market, and it's when I started basically building that business model and I thought, oh, wow, actually there are 300,000 births here in Australia. There are 5 million in Europe and there are 4.5 million births in U.S. alone uh, and Canada alone. So by just replicating the successful business model that I have here into those markets that I know have, you know, a demand for our Mm. products, um, there is huge scalability, you know, Mm. meaning, you know, 40 times, etc. So it's at that point when I basically made all those calculations, I thought, okay, well, I could just keep going along and slowly building the business, which, which is fine, but it's... You know, I'm working night and day and all of that, but or I could actually look for some external funding and really make it happen. And especially those bigger markets, you need you know you need a little bit more to advertise it to market it. Because also up until almost one or two years ago, it had been completely organic, mm. meaning the growth. So no marketing spend because all the money that you know we made, I put it back into production of new products, etc. So it was killing me as a marketing person mm. <laughs> not to be able to really really advertise it and. Uh, and um, and and market it out to the outside world, but um, you know you have to have your priorities. So for you, it was about it was about being getting into a position where you could scale. Yeah, you could you could scale up and do more. You already kind of had the product proven. Yep. You had the marketing proven. It was about okay, where else can we go with this? Exactly, all about scale. So really, the the, the only reason. I, I turned in um, turned to um, the idea of bringing outside investment was for scaling. Cool. Yeah. Okay. When did you do that? Um, about a year ago. Yeah, yeah, about a year ago. It took about a year to figure out how to do it. <laughs> but yeah, about about a year ago. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I'd like to drill into that a little more and find out about how that process was for you. Uh, we might take a little musical interlude for, for a few moments and then we'll be back. You're listening to Bay FM 100.3, the heart and the soul of the Bay, and you're listening to Searchlight, the entrepreneur's journey with John and Sharon, and we're talking to Sandra Ebert from Mizzy the Kangaroo. Back after this. LRB. Curiosity killed the cat. And we're very curious here at Bay FM 100.3, particularly on the Searchlight programs, Searchlight, the entrepreneur's journey. By the way, John, have to remind me, we're going to have to talk about the other Searchlight programs because now every single Monday night from 7 o'clock, we have a Searchlight program. Now, Searchlight, the entrepreneur's journey is here once a month or every four weeks. But our other Searchlight programs are fascinating. We've got Searchlight Conversations. We've got Searchlight, the Lost Boys and Searchlight Rainbow Conversations. Now, that one, Rainbow Conversations, is coming up next Monday night. And it's going to be really interesting radio, I think. It is talking about the gay community the stories behind it the pain points behind it the fun and the interesting things that uh with our gay community and particularly here in the redlands uh it was it was kind of sad to hear that there's not much support so our boys are going to be here on monday night and i it is going to be the most amazing program. So that's Jasper and Tony will be here from next Monday. They'll be taking the this sock, 
7pm to 10pm uh, with Searchlight Rainbow Conversations, I think. One of the interesting things is if you listen to the radio, you'll hear the promo. Are you a friend of Dorothy's? The boys will give us the story behind that, which is how the whole gay movement started. And it's an interesting story, so make sure you listen next Monday night. Searchlight continues, Searchlight Conversations, Searchlight Lost Boys, and next Monday, Searchlight Rainbow Conversations. But right now, this is Searchlight, the entrepreneur's journey, and we will continue having a chat with the amazing Sandra Abbott and Mitzi the Kangaroo. Yeah, so so Sandra, before we took the break, Sandra was telling us uh, the story of uh, how how Mizzy came about and and the vision for Mizzy. Um, we were drilling a little bit into you know the amount of effort, energy, and money required to get Mizzy from concept to market, uh, which you did an amazing job with. By the sound of it, sounds absolutely absolutely great. But you were saying you reached the point where to scale and go and do more it was going to require some more money in, in, right. in a nutshell yeah yep. okay so you then looked at the investment options and you you kind of went down the investor selling equity route what what were the drivers for going down that route for you i looked at lots of different options including um we won't get into that now but you know government grants and um I, I was just at a point, and this is four years into um, the journey, almost four years into the um, uh, Mizzy journey, and to scale, I just um, realized that I needed a little bit more um, capital there, and um, I, I just I, I just kind of weighed my options, and I thought if if someone's going to put money in um, besides myself and family and friends, as, as you know, mm-hmm. or more family um, that has uh, happened already, I, I would love it to be someone who actually has you know part of, you know skin in the game and believes in I guess believes in my product, believes in me, and wants to be there and and grow with me. So that w- that was my um, my my reasoning behind it, I guess. Um, um, but I, I've got to say it's it's not that easy. You can't just one day say i'm going to find an investor you know open up the yellow pages do they even exist anymore but um yeah so (laughs) we did we did list it some time ago so yeah (laughs) (laughs) no of course um no but um yeah so it's a it's obviously it's a long uh it's a long journey to even find the way to or you know what kind of investors um was it angel groups is it syndicate groups and you know I, i i basically went to a lot of functions talked to a lot of people and you know and sometimes people this you know helped me sit down and and um went through my pitch and in the end it was through the uh, the brisbane angels actually it was um almost probably six or eight months earlier to that point um i i uh, met up with um two brisbane angels at, at, at a function and they said yeah you're probably at a point where you can find um some investment but don't even bother with uh, brisbane angels because we only focus on technology so i uh, yep and i and i pretty much um kind of dismissed um you know the brisbane angels but then another time i sat down with um uh, at a breakfast beside another one and he just turned around and he said why have you not pitched to us? You have traction. You have a fabulous product. And, you know, this would be great. And it might not be for everyone in the group, but I'm sure 100% there'll be a few that will say this is great. And they'll believe in you and they'll believe in you have traction, you know. So with that, um, I, um, I I basically pitched to them and, and I got through. And uh, um, and I guess in terms of how 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 the pitching process goes, it's um, it's a bit like Shark Tank but without the cameras. 
that's, that, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Basically, they say, great, you have 10 minutes. I think it's 10. Yeah, 10 minutes. Uh, you will walk in. We'll basically give you the nod. If you go over the 10 minutes, we'll, you know, shut yeah, you down, gone, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and then you have 10 minutes of questions. And, um, you know, you even think about what if I don't get my whole point? No, no, you have to get it all in 10 minutes. So I've learned to talk quite quickly. <laughs> but also just to, you know, highlight a few of the things that um, the investors will want to hear. You talk succinctly. Oh, yes. do I? Yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> but I guess it's just to focus on, you know, because uh, as an entrepreneur, there's so many, you know, things that you want to talk about. But often I, I barely even talk about the products. I have them there so they can see and touch them. But I talk more about the business model, what we've achieved. You know, we've also won quite a few awards in the last um, two and a half, three years. So that also helps the credibility and how we've grown and all of that and, and talk about the numbers and the figures. And then that's when and, and also my background. And that's when um, people get intrigued and want to learn more. So I guess it's it's about the pitch is about you know t- showcasing what um, what's interesting to them, um, and um, and then hopefully finding people who are interested in your product and your company. What I found though is there are a lot of people in those syndicates and those groups that are more willing to invest into tech or say, I absolutely love what you're doing, love your thing, but I know nothing about product or manufacturing and it it kind of it kind of scares me. So I'm not going to put anything in because uh, I don't know anything about it. Um, and, and that's and that's and that's fine. So it's not going to be for everyone. Yeah, but, that, um, but that's that's not yeah. unusual. Different different individual yeah. investors have different things they like or things they're more comfortable with. Yeah, so exactly. That's, yeah, that's, As Steve was saying earlier, and I heard him. Mm. He, you know, he he's learned through the years that he invests in in in, in tech he's that a tech investor that have already traction. As mm. he's saying, you know, yeah. so so each investor have their you know their little niche, and some of them they might go, oh, I don't know that, but I I do understand the journey, or I'm a parent, or I'm a grandparent, and um, and I. You know, I mean, I've also got numbers and traction that they can uh, base it on, and um, and I guess the the drive. Um, I think a lot of people can can see through that. I've got the drive, and I'm not going to, you know, you're not up. going anywhere. Uh, so yeah. you get that. I mean, so but but I mean, did you find did, to engage with that process and to engage with investors? Did did you find that challenging, difficult, or relatively easy? I mean, are they are they are they nice people to deal with, or are they difficult? But I know somebody asked the questions, but I'm I'm just going to see what the answer is. <laughs> Elon, honestly, I've had I have had a great experience. It could be because um, you know the the few people of those groups who have invested have been really strong supporters um, and also you know they might give you connections in the end and um, I, I found it quite it, 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 it is draining and I also heard um, Steve say earlier and I completely agree that as an entrepreneur you know if you are focusing on on, 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 um, on raising capital it takes up a lot of your time and energy mm. and as soon yeah. as you take your time and energy out of your your business then your business you know not necessarily suffers but you're not you know you're not, you're not focusing on your business and a hundred percent so you know when i'm doing all these pitches i'm not you know a hundred percent concentrating on the business and then every once in a while i just take a break yeah. and then and right now I'm, I'm just focusing on you know christmas coming up and new product launches and all of these great things or even you know we're celebrating five years so we have all of these amazing things in the pipeline and then perhaps early next year again i'm going to go okay right um you know when it's a bit quieter now's a good time i can show the results from last year you know mm-hmm. uh, we've, we've achieved this at that etc and then focus again but it is it, it takes a lot of my time and energy a hundred percent um and 
and uh, I, I need to do it in, I guess, in... It can, it can be massively distracting. I think yep. that's, that's something a lot, of, a lot of entrepreneurs going into this don't always quite realise is just how distracting this process can be. A hundred percent. And look, thankfully, I'm, um, I have, you know, a clear plan and a vision and I am a numbers person so I always have spreadsheets and I know my projections and I know my numbers and my margins and all of that but if someone is looking to go into you know an investor pit you need to have all of those fundamentals mm, in place totally. you need to know what your next you know three to five years month by month may look like right. or, you know what your projections are you need to you need to know your numbers you need to be able to answer those questions so um you know thankfully I I I have whether I'm looking for investment or not, I look at numbers and figures all the time. Actually, sometimes I go, I'm, I, all I do is look at spreadsheets, which is ridiculous. Besides, you know, being creative, I look at spreadsheets almost all the time. But I think you need to be on top of that and then be able to compare. Okay, last month we did this or this month and then next year I want to do this, etc. So you need to. So out of curiosity, when you were, before you actually finalized the product and got the product out to market and you're you're working out your business plan and you're working out the numbers how close were the numbers that you uh, figured were going to happen and the ones that reality presented yeah actually pretty accurate yeah um i just based it on um you know like other products and competitors and then our market size and then i just made some estimations right being a brand new product with zero brand awareness you know i started with small numbers and um, so even my projections now into these scalable markets are actually really quite conservative, conservative yeah. yeah it's realistic conservative but then i can also you know show to an investor look these figures are based on exactly what i've achieved as a single founder, you know, bootstrapping out of my bed- bedroom type thing back then, you know, and if going into those bigger markets, like they're they're completely achievable, so they're they're quite quite low and conservative or completely achievable. However, we also know that with investment, then you wouldn't be bootstrapping; you'd be actually achieving that a lot better. But then it's better for me to be able to say, "Hey, actually, I'm at 151 percent of projections. Mm. That's pretty good." Yeah. Mm. So. so, so in your case, you've done all the numbers, you had it all there, and and so the pitch to the investors is: I know everything we need to do. All I need to add to this equation is your money. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and guidance. Yeah. Look, and I'm, I'm, I'm. I love, um, you know, mentors, mentoring. You know, um, um, uh, you know, when people want to come in, give advice as well. I'm completely open to that as well. Um, funnily enough, um, the, you know, the um, my investors have said, "Yep, we believe in you." go for it there's no one that's actually you know um sitting behind and you know fully driving it with me but that, i guess that's the confidence that they have in me but i'm also open to that and but that, well, actually that's something i was going to ask you because mm. one of the one of the one of the so-called part of the sales pitch of angel investing is well they don't just deliver money they deliver help support mm-hmm. introductions yeah. that sort of thing have you benefited from any of that oh look uh, my my dear lead is absolutely amazing and he has you know connected me to um to people and my kind of i almost have two dear leads because my dear lead mm. it was the first time using it so um i have 100 percent benefited from from them and they're you know and i can pick up the phone and speak to them anytime so to me that's even more valuable that it's not in a formalized way okay we're going to sit down every month or two months it's just or here's an update here's what's happening or then they might ask me a question or you know it's it's um it's kind of been more let's pick up the phone and yeah so it's been in kind of an informal way um which works well for me and for them 
mm, in this situation. Great. That's yeah. fantastic. So, so overall, if what would your message be to somebody considering sort of external investment? What would you What would you say to them? Yeah, I'd say um, really consider all of your options. Um, the pitching process. Um, look, it is very draining. Um, it, it it does take a lot of time and effort and um, your pitch needs to, to, to be right, you need to have all the fundamentals, you know, ready, you know, be ready. So that that, that takes a long time so it's going to take you away from your business so you need to have that. But if you find the right, um, you know, circles and investors, then that's great. It's probably not going to happen straight away <laughs> is what I'm also trying to say. And, and look, I've had uh, so many coffee meetings and, you know, so many this and so many, you know, so many meetings, which in my mind it's almost easier if I could have a, a coffee with someone that then says, yeah, sure, I'll invest in you. But it's it's happened through the pitches. Yeah, mm. I just haven't found yeah. that coffee yeah. chat yet. Sometimes a lot of coffees are necessary to get to the pitches. Yeah, yeah. it's true. Yeah, yeah. But I, I would say, look, um, if you're if you're confident with um, the, your returns and your idea and your possibly your traction, then definitely do it and, and consider it. Just be very well prepared. Yeah. Good. That's wonderful. So now we are very aware of the fact that, that there's this thing called Christmas looming on the horizon. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wonder. Yeah. How are people going to get hold of Missy the Kangaroo? Products. Okay. Well, we um, we do sell online, of course, at mizzythekangaroo.com. That's our online shop. Um, but we also, and primarily, we sell to retail about 400 retailers across the country. Um, so, you know, Meyer, the Iconic, um, a lot of baby shops, um, boutiques. So we're, we're available quite uh, widely across Australia. Um, of course, it's a bit hard now. I don't know who has got stock, etc. Um, but so either, you know, the easiest thing would be obviously online or through our stock it's just ask one of your baby shops and actually right now we're even celebrating um, um, our five years so until the end of October there's 15% off Um, but otherwise from November um, we have lots of perfect gift ideas for you know children I guess under three or four um, they're you know gifts with purpose Um, it's all about developing children through fun with a really fun Aussie character which is Mizzy (laughs) M-I-Z-Z I-E. Mizzy the kangaroo dot com. That's exactly right. That's brilliant. Sandra, that's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you very much indeed for sharing your entrepreneur's journey with us. Thank um, you for having but me. But I'm going to ask you that one last question we like, I like to try and get everybody with before they go, which is if you had one key piece of advice for somebody starting out, what would it be? Yes, well, for me, it would be really do your research. Um, research, research, research. Again, also really understand your customers and once you're confident with those two um, if you have a right proposition and the customers who are willing to buy your products or wanting to buy your products um, then go for it you know um, do do the plunge however um, I would say do it at a hundred percent so 100% 100% doesn't mean you need to let go of necessarily your full-time job. You know, as Pauline was saying, she's worked at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've worked, you know, 24 hours a day sometimes it feels. But give it your 100% and that's the only way you're going to see results. And once you're ready to let go of some of the other things, you know, you know, jobs and extra income or whatever, then then do that. But really give it your 100% because it's not going to happen overnight. So, so I've done all your homework before you take the entrepreneurial leap, yes? 100% and then, and then really do it. But 
give it 100%. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Sandra, thank you very much indeed. Thank you for joining us this evening. That's been absolutely fascinating. Mm. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> pleasure. Our pleasure. No, that's, been, that's, been, that's, been, that's been really interesting. Gosh, there's a lot of stuff we've covered there. We've only, uh, we've only got six minutes left. I know. <laughs> too much yet I again think, I think uh, yet again I think we'll take a brief musical interlude we can just squeeze one more in and then we'll be back for a little bit of a sum up so you're listening to Bay FM 100.3 the heart and the soul of the bay back after this credence Bay FM 100.3, Searchlight, The Entrepreneur's Journey, and oh my goodness, three hours has gone so fast again. As it, as it does, as it always does. Gosh, we've had an amazing array of guests this evening, and we've covered four, a whole lot of stuff. Yeah, four incredible guests. The yes, key thing again. is, though, have we answered the question? To pitch or not to pitch? That is the question. Have we answered the question? I think, I think we have. And I think we've answered. The, I think I think the answer that we've come up with is is yes, by all means, pitch, but pitch at the point where maybe where you've got all the answers. And to get all the answers means you've got to have a business model that's solid and robust. You've got to have um, a way to market. Ideally, you've got to have some paying customers and pitch because you want to scale. Is mm. probably the key message. I think that's the that's the. That's been really interesting. I think the best thing that's come out of this evening is that that common thread of the time and point to pitch, if you're going to pitch. I mean, you don't have to pitch. I mean, Karen's story is a good example of where you don't have to. There are other ways of getting funding. And with Karen, they got funding from the government. They got government funding and, and they paying customers, which is yep. another yeah. key thread that's come through this evening, um, which I'm delighted about because I sometimes think I'm, I'm, I'm a voice of one when I say the best form of funding is paying customers. No, oh, no, that was uh, yeah. straight. But that Steve was Steve that was there morning, with that. I, I, I thought Steve and I might be disagreeing about that, so <laughs> I felt robbed of an argument. Never mind. Um, but uh, no, I, seriously, I think those those are key things that have really come through in 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 those messages that we've heard from our guests this evening. So I'm delighted about that. I think that's really and good. one more was just do it. Don't overthink it. Just get out there and do it. And I think that that is fantastic. And particularly as we start to come through this whole COVID thing, Mm. I think that businesses and small businesses and people with that entrepreneurial spirit are going to be the ones that lead the four. And I think that my personal opinion, I think that's wonderful, is that we've given over so many of our rights and, and regulations and products and manufacturing and ideas to to other places other countries it's about time we brought it back mm. and i think we are leading that in mm. bringing bringing the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial spirit back into business back into our country and but, i think but that that's on that thing, let's let's just recap the key messages i have this question i ask everybody at the end what's your key message mm. so if you just go back just over what our guests have said this evening so um steve actually said his message was he actually said do it before thinking I think what he meant was do it before overanalyzing it. Yeah. So if you don't let analysis paralysis set in, you know, another case that's come through from because you learn guess. on the way. You learn on the way, but you do have to have done the research before. So as Sharon just said, uh, sorry, as uh, Sandra just said, um, have 
make sure you've done the research first yeah so do the research and then take the entrepreneurial leap you know that's that's a that's a key thing uh, and also karen said research 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 is what you need to do to get that in place um and uh, pauline said you know brace for the unknown <laughs> <laughs> i like that a lot that was fantastic you know there is there will be unknowns coming along and as the old saying is there's known unknowns and unknown unknowns um but whichever they are you do have to brace for them so that's some really interesting messages that we've had from one of our guests this evening uh, and i believe we've answered our question and i believe our task is done gosh <laughs> to pitch or not to pitch, pitch that is the question and the answer is yes so uh, at the right time with yes. all the all the, all the with all the appropriate caveats that's been a delightful evening sharon thank you for your thank you for joining us this evening on what's been a fascinating evening yeah, absolutely um if you'd like to tune in next week there'll be uh searchlight uh, rainbow conversations uh with uh, jasper and tony that's going to be a really interesting program but from us here with searchlight entrepreneurs journey that's it we'll be back in four weeks time with the next program Enjoy and thank you for your company. This is Bay FM 100.3. Elton John. Yeah.